to What Are You Doing Movie Archives. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Down in Front. Our movie this week is Mulholland Drive. Sound more excited, Vic. Our, our movie this week is Mulholland Drive. Yay! Pop in A your family DVD. favorite. Pop in your DVD or blurry. Press play, press pause when the Universal logo fades to black. The first stream you receive of all black, like I have done here, you're going to press pause. And in a little while, I want to say three, two, one, and pause, at which point I'll press play. You'll press play and watch the movie together in perfect sync. It'll be like any other commentary. Except, of course, this week, all this time, this commentary, with four friends in your head. Myself, as always, T. Christie. Uh, the Internet's Chris Hannell. Hello, everybody. Filmmaking's Chad Peter. I'm on drugs! And <laughs> editing's Eddie Doty. All I do is win. All right, guys. Uh, we have assembled a crack team of people. Uh, who like Mulholland Drive? <laughs> who committed a crime? We basically. looked, we looked, we looked from Mulholland Drive all the way through the San Fernando Valley and towards the north end, the Tahunga and the San Gabriel Mountains. Great deal, Yeah, Is that and we found we found the three guys that like Mulholland Drive and put them in a room, so they're <laughs> going to explain this fucking movie to you. Uh, if you can't tell by my tone, this movie makes me want to fuck David Lynch hard in the eyes you love it that much without removing <laughs> yeah, his eyes where, where is, that seems is, like is that an a, object of affection is that a good thing that sounded like a good thing uh i guess none of you guys have been fucked in the eyes Open. this movie <laughs> this is already starting back this movie uh i'm excited for this commentary because i wish to understand it and i and i we, we this is our first david lynch film and it is it's pretty straight up fucking david lynch so this is a good one to start with we didn't start with the first kubrick and we're not starting with the first david lynch but this is him in full swing, and I want to understand him. That's so one way of putting we, it. We brought you guys here to do this. I'm excited to learn about it, but this movie makes me want to kill. <laughs> so interesting. There are uh, scenes that make sense unto themselves that I enjoy. There are performances that are compelling, and there are nipples. Lots yep. Of nipples. It's Some hard. Nipples. It's Some really of the hard. Great it's, nipples. It's really hard to make me hate a movie with nipples in it. Anyway, and a pretty fantastic <laughs> lesbian sex. Scene. I'm uh, I'm uh, I'm drinking from the wine bottle today, boys. Chris Hannell, how do you feel about Mulholland Drive? I I enjoy this movie. Uh, I think for this commentary, just for the purposes, there there is first of all the one thing you need to understand about David Lynch. David Lynch doesn't care yeah. what it mean or uh, he doesn't care if it makes sense, and so it's not going to a lot of times. There are a lot of different theories, um, some of which are very compelling, some of which David Lynch has acknowledged as being kind of what he was looking for. I think I'm going to be kind of the conduit for the prevailing theory as to what this movie is about uh, and kind of talk about some of the different uh, themes behind it. Um, but it did take me a few times to really wrap my head around it. It did take some research. The first time you watched it, what was your opinion as the credits rolled? Um, what? Wow. Uh, what the hell? Like, my, my whole thing was, Hollywood let him make that. That's amazing. <laughs> and and you have to it was a TV pilot which he did turn into a movie. So he yeah. did, did Did I force you to watch this for yes, the first time? Yes. You forced me to watch this movie. Chad Peter right here was the first person to introduce me to this film because we were talking about David Lynch and I was like, "Uh, David Lynch is a weird guy. I've never seen any of his stuff." And you're like, "Hold on." And you went into your room, you got Mohan <laughs> Drive, and I was about to go somewhere and then I didn't go anywhere. And we and then I stayed in, in the apartment. I stayed in the apartment for the rest of the night because I was just like digesting what it was that we had just seen. Um, but yeah, I, I really I do enjoy this movie. Now, and would you classify yourself as an art fag? No, I would not. I am definitely not an art fag. Interesting, Chad. I, I might. Okay, yeah, Chad is. Chad, you, you classify yourself or classify cinema me? auteur director? Global. Okay. Uh, are you a fan of David Lynch in general? Uh, you know, not particularly. Um, even Blue Blue Velvet, I never really got an, interested in. Uh, Twin Peaks never hooked me. I tried to get uh, into it. Is this among? I just is couldn't. This among and your... this is very very similar to Twin Peaks. I feel like. In tone um, or in, in, in in tone, and like I actually watched the pilot for this, and it's it, it was very similar. 
okay. to Twin Peaks. Is this among your favorite Lynch stuff? It's it's among my favorite films of all time. Okay, um, why? Ooh. Explain yourself to me briefly. Well, I will later. Okay, but, uh, but you do like this movie. I got to get warmed up first. All right, all right. <laughs> Eddie the Eddie Doty. Yes. Now you're uh, the proponent of the uh, what was it? I think it was Kubrick's whole thing where drill uh, films is a dream state. That's merch. Is that merch? That's but merch. that was something that you parroted. Yeah, I, I parroted during the Kubrick commentary. Yeah, yeah, Full Metal Jacket, I think it was. Yeah. And does this movie qualify? Absolutely. And I, I even referenced David Lynch, uh, I think, during that commentary of Full Metal Jacket where I said, um, available at downinfront.net, uh, where, you know, I mean, not every painting is a Bob Wall. You're going to get a Jackson Pollock. Not every story is uh, Dean Koontz. You're going to get sort you know, um, um, Kurt Vonnegut in there sometimes, I like too. how you just Chuck Palahniuk. <laughs> you stopped your brain after you said Dean Koontz. You're like, yeah. Dean Koontz, it's I mean, Chuck Palahniuk. Well, I could, I could see on your even, face. You were like, I wanted to end on even, Dean Koontz. Even Chuck Palahniuk, like, tells, even though he, he like, tells a nonlinear story, he tells it in sort of a concise manner. I'm talking about using, like, you know, imagery and, you know, not, and this, this is a movie with not a necessarily a solid through line, and that's fine. To me, David Lynch is kind of like, um, at a family reunion, that really eccentric uncle who uh, has a crazy job that allows him to travel to Bangladesh three times a year, and he always comes back with just weird stories, and you're always like crazy fascinated to talk to him. And then at the end of the day, you're like, okay, see you next year, uncle. Like, I mean, just you know, that's fine. I don't, I don't need to talk to you every day. Uh, I don't need to hear your stories. But in one sitting, you'll just be fascinated. Please don't it. sign up for Facebook. I don't want yeah. to read your status updates. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> So he's kind of like that. So it's uh, so I, I I very much appreciate David Lynch. I'm I would consider myself a marginal fan of David Lynch. I, I was a huge Twin Peaks fan. Yeah, uh, I was. Yeah, I, lo- I mean, as a growing up as a, like. So as a who teenager, killed Laura Palmer? Well, they revealed that in the movie version. That's yeah. that's yeah. yeah. That's no. That's uh, no big. That's uh, no big. Uh, Firewalk with me. Yeah, Firewalk with me. I saw, they, I saw it. And I don't remember that. They T. Christie totally, knew a they, thing. They totally revealed that. That's. I mean, I won't spoil it, but yeah, that's a. Uh, Anyway, point being is I, I love that. I really enjoyed uh, Elephant Man, and I was a huge – for some reason as a kid, I was really into John Hurt. I don't know why. And so anything that's, with John Hurt – That's in, an interesting uh, – Right? I know, yeah. So anything with John Hurt in it, I've, I've always been a big fan of. Uh, Dune, even though I – you know, say what you want, I appreciate Dune. For I, yeah, Dune, I'm you know, that. Um, And then uh, Blue Velvet and Straight Story. I'm a, I'm a huge what fan of Straight Story. about Inland Empire? Uh, that – that's where – yeah. Aha. That was, Aha. I have my – that's what I'm saying. I have my tolerance. I have like – that's well, like that's like spending a weekend with you. You can OD on just, you can OD on Lynch pretty easy. You, you you absolutely can, and I think like I think he felt sort of empowered by this movie, and decided to push some things further. And I think he collaborated with some people who were just as trippy as him because Laura Dern is actually kind of a, a weirdo herself. And, oh yeah, the aliens thing. Yeah, it's yeah. Just, I mean you, you can you know so Laura I think, Dern. I don't know that. Story. What's wrong with Laura Dern? We're gonna have to she hear was this in later. Inland Empire, yeah. well, and she was very much. But on you said she was crazy. A little. Bit. What's her thing? Yeah, well, no, like Dan Aykroyd crazy. She's just very. I think no, she... not Dan Aykroyd crazy. No, like Alex Jones crazy. Like just sort of just you know has weird, weird. She yeah. contracted okay. it from uh, what's her name? Because Laura Dern's a cutie. Name. Victoria. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, no doubt. Um, right, point being, we're yeah, the yeah, no. I I enjoyed this movie. Um, there's not really going to be a great place for the story once we get into the movie. So I'll just say it now. I saw this movie. Um, I was at work, uh, and local morning DJs, uh, Kevin and Bean here in, in L.A., said... On K-Rock. On K-Rock. We got five tickets to the new uh, David Lynch movie. The first uh, five callers will get tickets. I, I thought about it, very leisurely reached for the phone, called, got in no problem, got the tickets. I drive down to the building. I go pick them up, and I'm like, yeah, I'm here to pick up my, my David Lynch tickets. And I'm like, okay, how many did you win? I'm like, I think it just said two. And he literally pulled out a stack, and he's like, just take however many you want. And 
And I it go, was you and one other guy was, that called. Was, so I'm like, fuck it. So I got tickets for all my friends, and uh, me, my girlfriend at the time, and a bunch of our friends. We go down to the Lemley Sunset Five, and that thing was maybe two thirds of the way full. That's a good theater. Um, it was a great theater, and it was the perfect theater to see that movie in. Sure, because, yeah, because there's a 24 hour fitness right there where you could sweat out the badness. Well, it's it's it's. Uh, Sorry, the, I'm not going to edit, I'm not gonna editorialize. Right. The audience was along for the ride. Audience was along for the ride. I mean, all of us were just sort of like. This is total nut bar, but I'm into it. I'm, yeah. I'm into the crazy uh, in this movie because I don't know. It's just a. It's just it's a ride. It's an experience. It doesn't necessarily have to be good or bad. It doesn't necessarily have to tell a linear story. Let it's me ask you this experience. real quick. Do you think this movie has a cohesive identity? Yes. At least? Uh, yes. Identity, sure. This movie um, reminds me of an album more than a film. It's it's, it's a it's, it's Sergeant Pepper. I wouldn't say I, no. I mean, if you're going to compare this movie, it's not even Sergeant Pepper. It's more like um, the fragile. More like uh, no. It's more like an obscure Future Sound of London album or something like that. Yeah, where it's, it's like, just like noise. Where it's yeah. It's, well, where it's just like fucking with a John Hurt as well. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, where it's just like you know fucking crickets and then like drum and bass and there's, you know. So it's just sure, yeah. I'm, I'm right. just saying it's a it's it is what it is. Well, I'm I psyched. It's wonderful. I couldn't be more excited to press play right now. <laughs> yes, do it. Let me get a drink. Do it. One second. Do get it. Get your mouse room out ready. Toga. All right, here we go. I never felt like I've ever had to dare you to press on pause before. Finger. I'm going to do this for the first time in my life. This is going to be the best the, commentary of all time. Oh, my God. I'm going to let Chris press play. Uh, it's the one that says play. Yeah. Stop. Yeah. It's, okay, here we go. It's got an I'm going to screw this up. <laughs> okay, here we go. You're going to want to hold it up high because the, okay. the IR is sort of weird. Okay. Here well, we go. Three, three two, two, one. On hey. pause. Yeah! Happy so birthday! Woo! Yeah, uh, the Studio Canal logo should have just I had nothing smacked to do you in the balls. <laughs> yeah, That's how you know if you have the scene point right. <laughs> All right. So this is a movie about a woman masturbating. Do you mean that thematically or literally? Literally. Okay. Now, well, if you were Dorkman Scott, I would ask you to make this thematically about a woman masturbating. <laughs> no. I can, I can do a lot with that. All right. Uh, Chad? Yes. What is Mulholland Drive about on paper? On paper, it's about an actress. Um, I can't get any work. Uh, oh, God. Starts to feel bitter. I gotta say, I loses like a role there. to someone else, and then uh, she kills herself. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. That's the, literally all the, the movie is. The the movie is basically um, there. There's a moment later on in the movie. We're just gonna explain it. I, th this is something where we're just gonna have to really go into it. But um, she is basically regretting her her life in in Hollywood, and she basically makes up in a fever state how all the excuse like she's trying to make up all these. Insane excuses for why her life ended up in, in the way it is that isn't her fault, right. and so she's trying to right. excuse it. And in the in we're going to see a lot of very thick Hollywood tropes of the golden age of cinema being used to kind of tell that story. Yeah. Um, and we start with it here. Uh, she she says later on that she uh, was first spotted in like a uh, jitterbug uh, yeah, contest, dancing competition or something. Yeah, right. Which is weird because you don't actually see her. Now, why it's done and it's the way the style that it's done. This that might be the only thing in the movie that I don't necessarily agree with. It well, it's it goes along again with the golden age of Hollywood. That kind of there's this kind of fifties kind of nostalgia going on throughout mm -hmm. the film with the characters, the scenes, the styles, um, the the different tropes. Now we see her here the being the golden age, or what's the word? She's she's in her the spotlight, right? Yeah. And these two characters here, the 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 aunt and uncle, which I will what? punch them in the face if I ever see them because they're so goddamn creepy. Later. Yeah, they are really creepy. There's really there's well been cast. there's been some uh, people that have analyzed that that she had a history of abuse, and that kind of fuels some of this. I don't know where that comes Could from. Uh, the very first thing we're seeing is the pillow that her the dead body is found face down in. Yeah, yeah. the bed that she shoots herself in later. Um, um, 
And, and by the way, I mean, to, for my money, this is still, I think, the best acting Naomi Watts has done. Uh, for a lot of reasons, there is a, I don't know, there's a there's a, a thing that happens about a third of the way through where all the way, the live reaction of her performance, because she plays this very broad and very sort of like TV and very sort of soap opera and you think like, wow, this is a really bad actress yeah, the first time like, you see this. The... And there's a moment coming up where she it completely inverts that. And seeing that live in a theater... It was uh, Justin Throw, writer of Iron Man 2, uh, by the way. Um, oh! Really? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know he did. That was a joke. I, I don't actually I love care. I him as an actor. Yeah. No, he's a great actor. He was on uh, Six Feet Under as well. He's brilliant in this. He's kind of channeling Steven Soderbergh in this, I, th- I think. Yeah. You can kind of get that. Yeah. It's the glasses. Um, it's just any filmmaker. Yeah. Uh, but uh, there was a moment where later on when that happens where Naomi Watts sort of inverts and you realize, wow, she's been acting to be a bad actress this entire time and literally just like unloads a clip of good acting on your face. And uh, li- in the in live in the theater, like there's actual applause. Like and that happens rarely, where an actor does something that just warrants applause in the middle of a movie. And um, no. I don't think I've ever experienced that. I don't think I've ever seen that happen. Uh, Rocky three, oh, yeah. when he knocks down, or Rocky four when he knocks down Drago for the first time. The, the, in the eighties, when I saw that, the entire goddamn Got theater up. stood up. Yeah. Angela Badalamenti, uh, say what you want about David Lynch, and and this is people always say like, oh, I hate you know David Lynch. Uh, Angela Badalamenti, uh, who does pretty much all of the soundtracks for David Lynch movies, kind of a badass when it comes to soundtracks. The Lost Highway soundtrack being most notable, um, sort of like not just his arrangements, but sort of his choice and you know his his sensibility. Really, really good stuff. Now, in this scene coming up, would you say in the division between the real life and the right. dream state mm-hmm. is this real life? Well, no, I, I don't. No, no, I don't think so at all. I, my 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 theory is, and then what I say is, is that you know, uh, seeing a movie is like experiencing a dream. Now, everybody's sometimes you have dreams that are incredibly detailed and literal, mm-hmm. and have a clear through line. Right. And then sometimes you have a dream where uh, your your mom is clearly that alarm clock, and the alarm clock right. is telling you to go do the dishes. Right. And right. It makes perfect and, sense in your brain. And, and the bowl of cereal is extremely mad at you for sending it to work that day. Like, I mean, there's there's things that. There's things that just make no goddamn sense. And everything sense. is going well until the blue brick comes flying and through the window. And there are some dreams. So what I'm saying, when I say the dream state, I mean it's a physical similarity to dream state in that you sit in a room, lights go off, and then images start happening, and then it, it disappears and the lights come back on. Right. That, that I mean, are, you know, neurologically that's similar to a dream state. Uh, and some directors play with that notion a bit more than others. I would say Soderbergh is certainly one of them. Uh, if you look at like the girlfriend experience, that's that's a movie that structurally plays with that. And David Lynch in Requiem everything also does. seems to fit that that bill. Yeah, I mean, and that that's say what you want. That's like uh, accessing ideas of uh, pretty lady st- stimulation and drug use. You kind of get that. Well, yeah, that too. It. No, there's a lot of there's a lot of various uh, symbolism as directorial style going on in Requiem for a Dream. All right, that was Walter Murch's whole thing. Is that what you said? That's yeah. I mean, that's Walter, Walter Murch is an editor, right? And uh, but that seems like an odd thing for an editor to conjure. Well, he, you know, his whole his whole point. I mean, well, yeah. I mean, like I said, I'm the, sorry. I'm sorry. I should set you off. And we're going to talk about Walter Merch in a second. Mulholland Drive is a real street. It's just down the road, and I drive on it once or twice a month. Uh, and it's great at night because you get the best view of the valley and then the best view mm-hmm. of L.A. You, you it's anyway. it is and literally they the best. Hate Adam and it's, and it's treacherous as fuck if you if you yeah, don't know what you're doing. It is literally the best road to do that shit on. And every little while you hear like one of only 105 Ferraris ever made was careened off a cliff the other day in Hollywood. Right. It's on Mulholland Drive. It's on Mulholland Drive. It's the, uh, the Hollywood sign is on a hill that is 
kind of connected to another set of hills. So it's basically, if you imagine a road winding along the top of the Hollywood Sign Mountain, it's not. It's on the mountain adjacent to it. Uh, that's where Mulholland Drive is. It's sort of this, like, necklace along the top of this mountain range. Yeah. And there's cliffs everywhere, and it's these hardcore, like, 170-degree turns and shit like that. And it's awesome, and it's a really cool road to drive on. But car crashes are, like, a staple of that shit. And it's nothing but, like, producers and very rich people up on Mulholland Drive anyway. Mm-hmm. So... That's where you lose your Ferraris. David Lynch said in an interview the reason why he kind of got teed off on an idea of Mulholland Drive is because he says it's it's a lot of it's balancing a lot of contradictions. It's in the it's in the forest for a lot of the times, right? And it's very like oh, 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 sort of like a you know Salisbury Plain kind of yeah, and, in and the and middle then, of Smallfield, in the middle Los Angeles, of Smallfield, Los Angeles, Hollywood on one side and the Valley it's, on the it, other. It's beautiful and, and it's, it seems isolated. It's it's this weird sort of and thing. it's high up. It's just, yeah, it's this weird th- sort of thing that it's, kind of bifurcates two identities. It's also Mount Olympus. And the, Mount Olympus, there's this idea of real beauty in the forest, sort of like a created beauty in the city. And there's there's a lot of things to play with there, right? Thematically. Anyway, it's also it pops up a lot. I think it, it it's second in line behind Santa Monica Boulevard in terms of pop culture references. It's in a Tom Petty song, like the Sunset Over Mulholland, that kind of shit. Yeah. I'd say Sunset and, Boulevard. I mean, Sunset I'd... Boulevard is specifically for this movie, and in the like, I I saw the pilot that this was. Uh, Oh yeah, Chad. That was going to be my question. Start, start, start at the beginning. It's I'm very curious. So, okay, so this originally Mulholland Drive was supposed to be a pilot for ABC, and it was going to be a series. I don't know if it was a mini series or an actual TV show. I assume a lot like Twin I think Peaks. It was going to be like it a, was going to be. They, they wanted Twin Peaks Part Two. They yeah. wanted Twin Peaks in the New Millennium. Is what and, they wanted. And so basically, about half of this movie um, was in the pilot. And, and they wanted like a noiry sort of like crime because LA Confidential had done really well. Yeah. The year before they ordered this yeah and that um, was like a thing and the the pilot itself is kind of like it doesn't have a lot of the it hints that maybe they're going the direction of kind of everything's kind of this dream state but it doesn't actually go there for the most part it stays very coherent and it's actually pretty boring um, right it just doesn't uh whereas at least the movie kind of takes that takes those angles and kind of focuses on those the pilot itself did not and that's probably why it wasn't even picked up was it um, was it interesting watching the pilot, having seen the movie, and seeing what what like what if you had to guess from the TV show, would you have guessed? Oh, this is going to end up being what Mulholland Drive is. Absolutely not. Yeah, no way. It was it was very different. It was it's funny because it was exactly the same. It was like watching your favorite movie, but really the very very boring. Let's stretch that. Robert Forster, not well. interested yeah. in. So he, these characters actually had a huge part in the pilot that was just totally cut out of the movie. Right. But. Um, just to talk about in dealing with the kind of the romanticizing of Los Angeles, now we start to see, you know, trench-coated policemen looking yeah. very gruff and yeah. hard-edged and it's very, all it's, serious business. It's, yeah. and, uh, They're right out of Dragnet. Uh, it's very L.A. Police noir. siren yeah. lights as the rim light. That's a, oh, the red light that's coming. Yeah, the, yeah the, it's the, a the red that's coming in. True. This movie, to me, is, like, is more Los Angeles and old Hollywood than... Any Most movie I can think of. Yeah, exactly. What about Ed Wood? Sunset Boulevard? <laughs> well, okay. Ed Wood, so the aviator. That's what I'm talking Yeah, and, and actually in the pilot, they even use the Sunset Boulevard music right. when they show the Sunset Boulevard sign. Okay. Um, but I mean, I mean, like, from a modern perspective. I see what you're saying. Um, it's, it's got more of L.A. as, like, a It feels like old Hollywood. Right. There's just something about the movie that just Before I went feels. off on the whole... Chris, go ahead. No, I was going to say that the, I felt like the whole reason for the old Hollywood in terms of thematics is... Is the lead, you know, Naomi Watts' character is trying to romanticize her life. She's trying to excuse things. And yeah. so that's what she values, Hollywood. That's why she came out to live this life. So she's trying to tack it on to her past 
to make to make it have more sense and to give it more value to herself before she offs herself. So you're going to see a lot of it right here. Before I got off on my tangent about the real Mulholland Drive, and it is a very cool street. In fact, if you're coming out to L.A., get in touch with me, and I'll I'll give you a Hollywood tour. And, and Mulholland Drive is on it. It's a fucking it's a badass drive. But before I got off on that tangent about the real street, Eddie was talking about Walter Murch. Now I yes. thought it was weird that an editor would come up with a, an idea like the dream state of cinematography because it seems like it's or not cinematography but the movie experience the right. film going experience does that when he when he made that point in the first place was he talking about how he feel like as not as an excuse but as a reason things that don't make sense can work in films or how did he get to that point uh, it's is more just the the big thing about and i make this distinction a lot Knowing how to edit isn't knowing how to operate Final Cut Pro. Knowing how to edit isn't knowing what buttons to push or keyframes or anything like it's that. It's not? No. <laughs> knowing how to edit, I mean, edit is all about, editing is all about context. How one shot, it's not about picking the right shot. It's about picking the right shot that has the context of the next shot. And as he says, you can't just think about how when you're cutting a scene, you have to think about how this shot fits in the scene, how this shot fits in the sequence, how the sequence fits in the act, how the act fits in the movie, and then how the movie fits into the world. Like how the, what, like the presence the movie has. And when you start think, and these aren't things that he just came up with overnight. I mean, when you stare at people's faces for 12 hours a day for 20 goddamn years, you, you, you know, it takes time for some of these ideas to percolate. Um, but that's every time he kept going into a screening, it was just something he kind of kept noticing. It's like, oh, it's like, it's, I mean, especially when you're in a studio and you go into the screening room and you're constantly watching cuts in like that intimate sort of setting, that's kind of what it is. It's this sort of, you go, that looks a lot like Denny's. I forgot about that. Um, but you, you, it's the, the screening system is, is just a lot of, you know, you go in, lights go down, images come back up. And cause he kept thinking about, why it was that our brain accepts edits, why our brain accepts interruptions in a flow. Because from the time we wake up to the time we go to sleep, it's a constant bombardment at our face of information. And that's why he calls it in the blink of an eye, because the blinks is what interrupts and processes that information into beats. Um, I guess when you do decide, I'm looking right, I'm going to look left, you blink to cover it. In a lot of ways, yeah. I mean, there, there's lots of reasons why people... Um, yeah, and, and and he goes into that in detail. And if you haven't read it, read it. It's 120 pages. You'll finish it in the afternoon. But the idea is, is that uh, the dream state allows for editing. The dream state is essentially why our brain accepts edits. Because in our dreams, it's not constant linear information. Our dreams addend and ab you know, abruptly shift that information. So that's how he connected to that. Because he's trying to figure out why it was that everyone from the beginning of cinema accepted edits. Like the first person who made the first cut that changed time and space why was it that up until that moment like when that moment happened no one said hey that's bullshit no one did everyone accepted it and yeah. the reason he theorized that was because of the dream state when it comes to david lynch's approach to filmmaking i think he intuitively tapped into that if not consciously and a lot of filmmakers do a lot of filmmakers you know come to uh come to filmmaking um not necessarily watching the same movies that we do. A lot of filmmakers come into filmmaking not really having watched a lot of movies, especially those early filmmakers. They had books and paintings and, and stories and myth to, uh, to reference. So those first filmmakers, the Melee Brothers, guys like that, who m understood the craft and what you could do with it, um, yeah, what reference point did they have? Which summer blockbuster were they referencing? You know, I mean, they weren't. They were creating in a vacuum, and I think we still have – occasional filmmakers who create in a vacuum and David Lynch is one of them. And I think that's why Citizen Kane I'm sorry Chris had a thing like five minutes ago and he's been biting his knuckle. I think that's why Citizen Kane 
is Citizen Kane, by the way. Right, because, because he it's did the first so movie that shit. comes out of that world that you watch Citizen Kane right now and it feels like a movie that was made in the 70s or the 80s. It yeah. doesn't feel like a movie that was made in the 30s, 40s. Especially if you watch a really cleaned up print and it's like, it's, wow, it's, this movie it's, was made it, yesterday. It feels and it's edited and it's shot and it's performed modernly. Yep. And that's that came out of nowhere. And that's Orson Welles and that's why Orson Welles is Orson Welles. And that's not why he got fat. He got fat because of food. Chris, go. Now, so, <laughs> talking about dreams and dream states, and we have this scene right here with this guy talking to ostensibly a shrink or something. About about how he is afraid of this dream that he's having and he's having trouble dealing with it, and in a minute here we're gonna see it come and fly right in his face, and it really has nothing to do with the rest of the movie. It's, it's very interstitial. It, it's, yeah. it's 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 basically it's an emotional beat. It is something. It's an to, emotional beat, actually. Like I feel coming from the main perspective perspective of the Naomi Watts' character. Yeah, exactly. Like um, this is in her head. This whole conversation is just kind of happening. She's so that guy is Naomi Watts. <laughs> Generally, I think yeah. I, I think everything we're looking at here is different fragmented pieces of yeah. her character's psyche that we're seeing over the course of two hours, spread out like you know marmalade. Is it fair to say that Mulholland Drive is the uh, wow Mulholland Drive is the dream Naomi Watts' character is having? The film Mulholland Drive. It's, the dream it's that she's well. Having. Some of it is. Some of it is outside of it. Some of it we are. We do yeah, see yeah. what she's. So it's the, movie, it's the dream scenes. that she's having, and we're seeing some pieces of it that connect to her as a character in yes. the universe. Yeah. yeah. Okay. 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 All right. I, I'm I, with you. I wouldn't carry like the dream like too literal here. I mean, I don't think this film is a dream. I think this is like yeah. we were saying, just parts of her psyche, parts right. of her fragmented. Well, you know, we see. You know, she she loses a role. She loses her girlfriend, and she's trying to make up incredibly crazy reasoning. For why the people that screwed her over had no had no control over it. Like she's trying to say that you know, oh well, you know, it had to happen that way, and I, it's no fault of them or whatnot. And we'll get into more of it as we get to those scenes because there's a lot of it going on, especially when we get to finally meet the director character. Yeah, played by Justin uh, yeah. Justin Theroux. Justin Theroux, uh, who's great on Parks and Recreation last season. <laughs> really, really good. He's and he's and he's in that. He's like he's like got really good comedic timing, um, and I I do feel like the best. Dramatic actors are even better comedically. I, I really do feel that way, and like because I think comedy is generally harder to do than thank you than drama. Thank you, yeah. comedy is harder to do than drama. Easily, easily. Yeah. And yet, how many? Fuck no! you! Fuck you! <laughs> Seriously, in the in the in the theater when I saw that, ah, oh. <laughs> you knew it was coming too. Yeah, I did. I was, that's why I was trying to talk about partial recreation because it makes me happy. <laughs> Who... And look, it kills him. But yeah, I get it. I totally understand why. So Roger Ebert, Roger Ebert said uh, that basically he's never really been a fan of David Lynch up <laughs> I to cannot, this point. Good yeah. man. But he said he absolutely loved this movie. Yep. And he, he said basically Lynch has been working his way to, to this movie. Yeah. Some, I mean, some big similarities done. to uh, Twin Peaks there with uh, uh, the fellow in the room there. Yeah, the um, little guy with the uh, – he's got, he's got on fake shoes to make his proportion look right. bigger, to make his head look smaller. Right, and, and here's a crazy sort of idea, but I think there are parts of this movie that are damn funny. Yeah, uh, and and part of it has to do with sort of these mogul characters. They're just these really big sort of parodies of, especially later on with the coffee scene, the cappuccino scene. Like, there's some elements of this that are just really, really just sort of strong satire from David Lynch. I think. You notice that all the phones are rotary phones. Uh, I have not noticed it, but I'm I'm totally picking it up. Now. That's just David Lynch's fascination with the. I think that's just his collection. School. It's nostalgia. nostalgia, and I love the lamp lighting the phone. Yeah, like that's and, and the phone clearly has frayed wires. Like that's it's it's a lot of this is just very, I mean, tongue in cheek isn't really the good word, but it's it's obviously 
you, it's aware of stereotypes. Well, that's no, just it's it's not re- it's like it's screaming. This is not reality. Like it's screaming like that. This is not uh, to be taken literally. I mean, even the background players. Look at the way they're dressed. Like you see these sort of, you know. This was Naomi Watts' first big American movie. She had a small role in Tank Girl before this. I have, I have a question. Um, this, it made her a star. Yeah, this, sure. this is the imagine, movie that made uh, Imagine you had someone with not a short temper, but a short attention span for a movie, like myself. Sure. And you're preparing me to watch Mulholland Drive for the first time. What do you tell me to, to make sure that I'll stick with it? There's a lesbian scene in the second half. Don't watch it. Well, that's good. I, I would actually give you a diet of other movies to detox okay. to. Okay. Yeah. And then... Because I saw this movie. That. This was the first... Art fag movie I saw. I saw this before Thank Kubrick. God help you. Yeah. yeah. No, this movie yeah. came out and it made me went, hate my life. You went straight yeah. to grad school. Okay. It's, so I, I I jumped straight to calculus and I forgot pre-algebra. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. And that's and you know there's a I mean there are movies you could watch leading up to this. I'd, I'd have yeah. you watch some maybe some certain samurai epics that sort of play with time and space that at least have some good fighting. In well, it, I'd or, start with I'd start with yeah. Up. The, the 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 Pixar. Oh yeah. You that's a, that's the first now. that's the first. Uh, okay. It's it's a All movie right. about a dream state where a guy has a fever dream and dies and imagines the dream. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think I think you're talking about Enter the Void or something. Like that. like <laughs> no, I'm talking about Up. Okay. I mean, I had about four years of film school to prepare me for this. Yeah. Before. And a lot of sake. And a lot of sake. And uh, I mean, we watched like short films of Maya Darren. Yeah. Um. These these very non-linear short films mm-hmm. and things like that. <laughs> kind of. This coming from the guy that made Gods and Toasters. Well, everything's so clean and happy. I've never seen LAX. I, look I remember so clean. thinking the audience yeah. at the where I went and saw it was like giggling. Fuck these her, people! Her performance yeah. was so bad that it was like you thought it was bad. You thought, like Eddie was saying earlier yeah. about Naomi Watts, you thought she was just a oh, bad actress. Jesus Christ! <laughs> seriously, seriously. This, this is screw these people. This is the thing about uh, her. This is the personification of her past. Yeah, and that's how she sees the adult figures in her yeah. sort of her life. I I got that. Sort our of, studio is right where the H is. If you look through the hill, <laughs> <laughs> and our secret mountaintop lair that is going. <laughs> <laughs> um, Don't tell them where. This is a really good. Uh, yeah, and for, and I know we bring up Los Angeles a lot here and down in front. People are saying like, whatever. Uh, this is sort of typical of Hollywood apartments that you sort of, you know, drive by, drive this by. Is, and this the, is the, the mission, ideal, the mission style, you know, the kind of Spanish mission style that you see a lot in Southern California, especially in like Los older. Fields. Yeah. Los Feliz a lot. And you, you know, towards the hills, you know, in the beginning of LA confidential where Danny DeVito is giving the thing about LA and he says yeah. they're selling an image. This movie is trying to show what that image is right. of, that they're trying to project. Right. And it's this the anti entourage. Yeah. <laughs> and and you know her character shows up with literally fucking nothing except winning a jitterbug competition. Yeah. Like she has not by the way anything to her name. Um, She's somebody by the way. I forget who that is. That's um the uh, Danny act- Glover. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, she was like an old Hollywood per- and god damn it I'm really upset. And her name is I think she does go by Coco in real life, but I forget what, what? she was. Oh, well. yeah, Who's your uh, an in terms of uh, attractive old <laughs> Hollywood actresses? Uh, I'll take a Gene Tierney any day of the week, twice on Sunday. Oh, uh, yes. Gene Tierney? Oh, my God. Um, Catherine Hepburn, some maybe? Gene Tierney. Um, Katie Hepburn? What are you going to do? Grace Kelly? Oh, he's looking her up. Yeah. So, Give me a second, folks. So now we, we have this character, Coco, who is, once again, it's another a connection to Golden Age of Hollywood. She used to be... She she talks about being a starlet or whatnot. Yeah. And she the the dialogue that she gives off is very 1940s screenwriting. Well, she's very snide too. Yeah. She, every time she's like, "Oh, you just want to be a Hollywood actress," kind of gives her this look like, "Okay, doesn't everybody?" Yeah. All right, honey. She's when I moved the- to L.A., Chad had recently shown me. Yeah, Chad introduced it to me too. 
Mulholland Drive. So when I moved to LA, I'm ruining the world. Here, one person here, here's anytime. what I had in my in my arsenal of. I had a lifetime of knowing that Hollywood was where the sign is and where the movies get made. And then the specific things that I had were this movie and A Long December by Counting Crows. I was depressed before I got here. You sad, sad person. <laughs> they should have started with L.A. Story by or Steve something. Martin. Yeah, I know. L.A. Story is great. I loved L.A. Story, the especially player. growing up here. Players is one of the few like right. movies about movies I like. Someone explain to me, who the fuck does David Lynch think he is? <laughs> My first question: Where do you get off? Yes. How, what is, how what, dare you? Seriously, uh, who is David Lynch? Well, what okay. happened there? How, my, how does David Lynch occur? So my, okay, my, my follow-up question to that is: And how come? How is David Lynch not allowed to make what he wants? I'm not saying he's not. I'm happy that David Lynch exists. I'm a fan of the marketplace of ideas. I'm just curious, literally, what chemicals occur to create David Lynch and then a series of movies that people keep going to see. Well, he's because it's so strange it's, dude. Well, I know, but it's so off the wall and it's incredibly difficult to get an American audience to go to see a movie that's not completely westernized. And David Lynch ha you could never accuse him of being a western filmmaker even though he's an American dude, isn't he? No, because at the end of the day he and I don't mean I didn't mean to catch you off there, but like at the end of the day he can tell a linear story. I mean, Elephant Man is a pretty straightforward story. Elephant Man is my favorite David and Lynch he, movie. A straight story. Literally PG movie that was Oscar nominated, uh, amazing performance by Richard Farnsworth and Sissy Spacek, and a very straightforward linear story. He understands emotion, and you can, and just like with sci-fi, you can set things on the planet Gublar and have tentacle monsters that eat lasers, but as long as the emotions are correct, people will be along for the ride. I mean, Star Wars has a lot of fantastical stuff in it, but people buy into universal themes of that are in it. Lord of the Rings is pretty fantastical, but at the core of it is it's about relationships and it's about people and things like that. I'm trying to figure this out from a reverse engineering standpoint. We'll, we'll use Star Wars as the comparison for Western Western style storytelling, even though everything about Star Wars is the most. It's Star Wars is effectively, and it sounds pejorative, it's pablum. Star Wars is easy. And Miller, you were right. Right, yeah. and Miller yeah, is what Eddie okay. said. Uh, Star Wars, for the purpose of this conversation, is the, the comparison point for like Western filmmaking and straight up understanding the story the second you see it, even if you see it on mute. It's, and, I, and I said pablum. It's, it's easy to d digest storytelling, and David Lynch is the opposite of that for the purposes of this conversation. If you made Star Wars and nothing that happened in Star Wars was really what it was about and the scenes weren't exactly what the scenes are supposed to be, does that a David Lynch film make? Is that how that works? Where he's basically telling the emotional story in ways that don't present literally. I, I mean, because I this is really interesting to me because we've talked about Spielberg as being the sentimentality and straight up you experience the movie as you experience the characters. We've talked about Kubrick being you experience the scenario and the characters don't connect to you unless you specifically identify with them. And David Lynch would operate on a third level where David Lynch is telling you the he's giving you the emotional beats, but he's not giving you the literal. I think you're overthinking it. I think it's. I mean, there's. There, you're accusing this guy of overthinking <laughs> David Lynch films. Uh, yeah, I do because I, I, there are there are varying degrees of David Lynch. I mean, you. I mean, where does uh, Blue Velvet fall into this? Where does Lost Highway fall into this? Where does Straight Story fall into this? I mean, there's. I don't know there, much about his oeuvre, to be honest with you. Well, I mean, that's what I'm saying. I think you're you're holding this up to be 1.0 Lynch, and it's not. It's it's. I mean, there's. This isn't like the the median with which Lynch sort of orbits. It's a. Uh, I mean, this is a film he's done. He's done many different kinds of films. And and I guess it's, you know, this is an experiment with him. He plays in a certain sandbox, and he doesn't always make the same sandcastle. You know what I mean? It's, it's I don't know. I mean, I, just, I, I don't compare this to Dune. This has nothing in common with Dune. This has nothing in common with Straight Story. Not just in story, but in approach and technique. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's, I mean, and you're pretty familiar with his, his filmography. I mean, would you... 
how would you fit this into like sort of his, you know, his catalog. his catalog? Uh, it's it's tough because, yeah, it's like you said. I mean, Blue Velvet kind of has its own thing going on. It's not it's not very similar to this. This movie is like a better version of Lost Highway to me. That's, um, that's a fair that's a fair statement. Because and and strangely enough, he had to literally fail at making a TV show pilot, have it rejected. And then he literally had to sit on what he had already shot to figure out how to tie it all together. And, you know, it's arguable, I guess, to some that he did tie it together. But, right. um, like, so much of the pilot, like I said, didn't, didn't involve the whole dual personality thing or whether or not she was dreaming or any of that stuff. Well, the, the world that I grew up in, and I speak for myself and for probably a sizable portion of our audience in that I'm a moron um, – I was never trained for a David Lynch movie like this. I was, I, and in the pop culture existence that I grew up with, the movies that I liked and the movies that I saw, the movies that my parents told me about, my friends made me watch. I was never trained for this kind of movie. So when my, my obviously my first reaction is stop. Like I, I I get frustrated with a movie like this, clearly, because because I just don't. I my brain doesn't know how to put one and two and three in in order when I'm watching Mulholland Drive. So you you never watch any uh, Twin Peaks? No. Okay, now, that, now, Chloe, on the other hand, is a major, major David Lynch fan. Well, see, the thing, Twin Peaks was a huge cultural, like, zeitgeist thing. That was huge. And, I mean, people, you, I, that show was, like, so hugely popular when it came out. That was sort of, like, the pill with which people accepted um, Lynch, I guess. Mostly just because Sherilyn Fenn was so hot. Sherilyn Fenn was, was hot, but it was, it was this kind of cool procedural with, like, quirky characters, like, that had some, I mean, it's, it's similar in... In a sense, like how Lost was huge. If you would have said, you know, a show about a time traveling island uh, with, you know, that tells things backwards and all this other shit, like, like yeah, fuck? yeah, and you yeah. said that would be the big hit for six years straight on TV. There's no way you could have predicted that. Same thing with Twin Peaks. And I think once, I think Twin Peaks earned him a lot of, you know, um, goodwill with the normals. I guess, and so like the vanillas. People, as so it's so like, oh, new David Lynch movie. Well, I like Twin Peaks. I'll go watch this with popcorn. And that's you know that's sort of I think how he's able to kind of trade off his name. Meanwhile, the French people, are like, oh, David Lynch, he is the maker of the uh, of Zedun. You know, I mean, like they they could be into sort of his art fag sensibilities, and sort of you get this weird convergence of legit pop culture explosion with Twin Peaks. And I guess my, know, my 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 point of view here is that I'm I'm almost resentful. That the world did not prepare me for this <laughs> is the best way to, to right. describe it. It's like I would like to like this as much as I would like to like Buffy, and I I can't like either of them, and I'm mad. <laughs> well, I mean, look, I you know, on a lazy Saturday, which movie am I more likely to pop in the the DVD player and watch as I right clean? now? I would not, not this right. You know, well, no, like, now let me point this out. The uh, when when for the purposes of this conversation, imagining what Teague is referring to when he says movies that he likes. I'm not referring to Transformers or The Matrix or no, no. A Few Good Men or Citizen Kane or fucking Garden State or whatever. Just a movie that presents in the way that, in my vernacular, a movie should present. But clearly that's a Western opinion of how filmmaking is supposed to work. And I have absolutely no precedent for the David Lynch that I've seen. Elephant Man worked for me because it was straightforward enough that I could mm -hmm. at least follow the Elephant Man character in Anthony Hopkins. Like, that made sense to me. It's uh, it's a trained. I think. Yeah, I just. Like, well, I didn't go to you, film school. I mean, that might be the problem. Well, I didn't, I, okay, I, okay, yeah. I, I I didn't watch a lot of. David, I, I did. I did technically go to a film school, but like I watched more of your films in 
outside of film school than I did in it, just because my father was a movie reviewer and like he, you know, like that was that's, just. I'm, I'm jealous of your dad because your dad was so fucking awesome with movies and shit. Well, he, that sounds like a great way to grow up and, and, and get a sense of pop culture. But the, the big thing was is that everything had equal value, and you can't approach it with you right, know exactly. So I didn't it, have that. Yeah, no, I mean, so and and I guess that's sort of. I think we're getting to that. I think Netflix streaming is is huge with that because I look at my local favorites for Van Nuys and I'm seeing Enter the Void pop up. You know, I'm seeing sort of. <laughs> oh dear yeah, God. Yeah. So and I'm seeing. I'm seeing things sort of spread out. This uh, scene I love because this is exactly this is such a, amazing. This is this is why I talk about have the film having a sense of humor and having yeah. a sense of satire to it because this is this is hysterical and yet not too far from the truth. Yeah, it's this is kind of the thing about when we're talking about the ex- the excuses. So basically, the the crux of the idea is that uh, this guy uh, has to recast and he has to pick this girl, and in the end, he like. He starts dating his, Betty's ex-girlfriend or something like that, and it's it's all emotionally. It's all she gets screwed over by these people, and this is the elaborate plot of well, the mob made him right. it's, choose it's like this, this this different strings behind. Yeah, the puppet strings curtain. behind everything, and that it's not to, it's not his fault at all that right. he totally screwed her over. And so we, you know, the whole this is very stereotypical. You have the he's got the golf club with him. <laughs> that we're gonna have the espresso thing now right here. Everything is to the hilt. It, it is TVTropes.com wrote a lot of these scenes in that he is trying to hit those notes of familiarity of cliché. Mm-hmm. Well, especially from an actor's point of view, an actress's point of view, would be she wouldn't they wouldn't see this scene at all. Like this is just all within their head. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I, this I, is how Chad pictures uh, the Nine Inch Nails album with teeth getting made. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Not with teeth, the, the new one. <laughs> But, uh, God. The, yeah, the, this and just the deliberate, just like how deliberate it is and just like the look on the butler's <laughs> face. It's 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 so I don't know. I mean, it's you can tell this is like him and having fun. Angelo. That's Angelo Badalamenti. Yeah, not yes. him, but, uh, but the, the composer the guy yeah. who's about to spit or, out the, the uh, yeah, the, the studio executive. Angelo Badalamenti, very famous. Uh, I think he's a jazz trumpetist and jazz pianist and uh, multi-instrumentalist. Um, Lost Highway soundtrack. Give it a listen, not just for the shitty uh, Smashing Pumpkin song, but for um, uh, there's some really good uh, compositions on there. I'm not a huge jazz fan, but uh, what he does is, is pretty solid. And again, he did the thing on the straight story. This is, and he, he should act more. I'm just saying he should absolutely act more. And, <laughs> and I love how like they, th- this was like this was the thing they envisioned as being their worst fear. Like this was the thing that could happen. Yeah. And <laughs> Justin Thoreau is sort of He's hanging like, a lantern what? for us with every expression he makes. Justin Thoreau's character is sort of like the normal. He's kind of like the audience. He's yeah. audience avatar yeah. for he this. He goes. He goes. Part. What? What's going on? He's like, Why am I here? What's the guy's hand is shaking? He's so confused. <laughs> <laughs> so, Teague. As far as what do you feel would have to prepare you for this kind of movie? It's sort of hard to articulate because I I don't know under what set of circumstances this movie would have hit me the right way. What makes you angry about it? I I like to get. I like like to get things. I feel like it's good to like things. And when I can't understand what there is to like, when people are, in in my estimation, unanimously agreed that it is likable, I get mad because I don't get it. Well, hold oh, hold on a second there, because at the very beginning of this uh, commentary, you said there are some scenes that are very well done, and there are some shots yeah, if, that look it, really well, good. Well, no, but that's that's, why, that, that's how I have to do it. I have to right. look at Naomi Watts in this scene and go, I like her in this scene, as opposed to this movie, which leaves me confounded. 
I, I mean, I, I guess my point is, is like, for, you I, know, I, again, I, I mileage I, varies with how how much you value those things that you admit are good. This is one of those movies that I might watch movies for twenty more years, come back to and love. I don't right, know. Right. Sure. No, I like I couldn't have ever gotten into half the bands I was into if I wasn't into X band at one point. That kind of thing. Fair enough. But I haven't figured out, and I guess there's at least in my daily life, the movies that I'm inclined to see based on what's on the DVDs that my roommates have that are someone like me and what's playing in the theater. It's like, it's not a movie that the world around me prepares me to see. So I'm not sure how everyone else was either accepting of it immediately or prepared to see it. I don't know. It's a, it's very difficult to articulate because I don't want to be mad at this movie. I want to like it. I just right. don't. This, I just don't get it. This is uh, this is supposedly based off an incident that happened with Jack Nicholson. Yeah. <laughs> is it really? Yeah. And Tyler Durden. <laughs> well, to be fair to uh, to your view on the movie. Um, By the way, there's people in the chat room that are agreeing with me. Just saying. Well, to be I'm, not, to be I'm fair, in this commentary as an avatar for people that don't. Well, get no, and that's why I'm happy and, to be here because I'm asking you guys. And to you know, to our audience, I would say you know you are fully entitled to watch. I, I don't want to be entitled to not like it. No, I want I want to understand why. I know I'm entitled other, to not like why it. Why do people like it? I don't. I'd rather, I, I'd rather understand. Well, I mean, to me, I have a harder time understanding why people like generic shitty pop music or generic shitty. Fair enough. Like why why Grown Ups got made? Like I have a harder time understanding how Grown Ups got. Well, no, I, I get it, but like I don't. I would. I, under, it's like if, Two and a Half Men. I have yet to meet a person who watches two and a half men yet it is the most popular show on tv exactly. I, don't, okay. I don't i don't get that well it was you know? now it's canceled well my point yeah my <laughs> yeah, point yeah, yeah. is you know i guess that's true i mean if you if you but that's like that's like when you see the the left and the right arguing on the television you're seeing the crazy left and the crazy right if you if you took a fan of grown-ups and a fan of the mulholland drive neither of them represent the majority right i i i and fully, yeah fully prepared for that and i guess what i'm saying is that i'm I, I don't sit here as advocate for hardcore David Lynch fan. I sit here as an advocate of a fan of film, and a few of David Lynch's films happen to fit into that into that mold. And, right, I, and sure. I guess you know it's if my taste is a giant uh, colander, you know he catches somewhere on the outer lip and, and gets drained towards the center. It's it, it's not it's not a matter of um, you know the vibe going to the bat, vibe that I get from I'm gonna pull a really weird connection out of my ass here. The vibe that I get from movies like. Or fans of people for movies like Mulholland Drive and 2001: A Space Odyssey are that once you grow up, you'll like it. That's the vibe I get, and it's a it's a condescending sort of elitism of a fandom. And I hate that too. I I hate okay. that when no, people. That's what that's yeah. what I'm responding. That's a very to. incorrect. Yeah, it's a wrong it's, approach. It's absolutely to it. right. Yeah, it's um, it's just kind of like, you know, it, it's funny because before, before uh, I don't know. I, film school like forced me to sit and watch like a lot of movies i would never would have watched um like greed anybody ever see greed, greed from like it? 1928 or something it was just like a four right. hour silent epic like once you sit through movies like that or baraka or anything yeah, yeah. yeah it's like you get so used to like literally you just kind of give up you're like okay i'm gonna stop caring about whether or not i feel like anything is good when i the second i sit down i'm just gonna let it kind of present itself to me first before I have to think or get frustrated about whether or not I feel like I don't understand it. And I feel like that kind of – that I don't, I don't know if it's a form of thinking or a form I, of just viewing sensibility. something. That is a sensibility that I lack. It's, it's a sensibility that is – it's almost like earned by, by sitting through a lot of very long, tedious movies. Yeah. And it's, it's strange that you almost have to earn it or you have to train your brain to, to – Well, yeah. I mean I can see what you're saying. I mean there are – very long, very slow movies that I love. Yeah. But 
I like people in the chat room. I've been talking with them about Buffy. I made a comment about Buffy. I can't. I've been trying and I can't get into Buffy. I've seen probably fifty episodes of it, and I watched all of the first. Which season. is surprising to me, considering your. Well, I know, and I love. Yeah, right. Lovery. But I well, watched. But, I sat down and tried to watch the first season. And I couldn't, and my roommates have been watching it constantly since. And I, it's I I can't give us like people say you need to give a TV show at least a season to get it. It's like I don't. I don't want to. I, I, I didn't Buffy. start watching Buffy until. Well, this isn't a comment about After, Buffy. This is like, a comment about my, my ADD about, about watching that. something, where it's like, I'll, I'll give you one-third of what you're ever going to be, and if I get to the second third and I still don't care, I don't care. My, my theory, that, might be, that might be naive thinking about films. My theory is that every person has things that they can get right away without having to work a lot towards it. Like, for whatever reason, I never had to work hard to understand um, sci-fi, like, or for sci-fi to work, for, for it to work for me. Um, certain kinds of hip hop I listened to growing up, I didn't have to like work hard to appreciate it. But poetry, I had to work hard to appreciate poetry. Same on I had, both counts. I had to All three counts. I had to work hard to appreciate um, Russian film. I never really, I don't, but I appreciate yeah. it for what it is. It's a uh, language in the, itself. The, the, French, the French New Wave. I, you know, like I had a really hard time with it. I had to, I had to work really hard, and it wasn't until I saw the, the. Um, the 94 version of Les Miserables with, uh, um, what's his name? Uh, the guy from Breathless. Um, until I saw that particular version that I was like, okay, French kind of works for me. And that kind of led me to Breathless and some other stuff. There, the, I had to work to appreciate some of the stuff I appreciate now and champion. Some of the things I champion really hard now, I didn't, it didn't come to naturally. So it's, it's, I wouldn't say that you haven't grown up yet, and that you and that one. No, there's but there's, be, you're, you're always going to find new things, and you're going to grow with right. Them. And and you're going to change. Like you 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 are not static, and so therefore the things that you appreciate will change. Like I said, I you might know. love this movie in 20 years. Right. Like the first time I saw Fear and Loathing, I had the exact same feeling I had watching this for the first time. Sure. And now Fear and Loathing's on my top five. And that's how it works, I think. And I think with uh, with David Lynch, I think a lot of people. In fact, this movie actually reminds me of Fear and Loathing in a weird way. Fear and Loathing, if you're. I always tell people the first time they're going to watch that movie. You, you think because they're just babbling and saying funny shit, you don't have to listen. <laughs> you have to listen to what they're saying. Otherwise, you'll get frustrated and leave the movie. But Fear and Loathing, <laughs> if you're literally listening to the words coming out of the characters' mouths, actually does make sense. It just disarms you because it seems so right. incoherent and druggy. But the first time I was watching, I didn't have that. That's why I asked the question I did. In fact, it was because of Fear and Loathing because I prepare people for Fear and Loathing that way. Right. What do you say for me to understand Mulholland Drive in my current state? And if the answer is... You need to watch about thirty more films, then that's fine. I, I think and it's I, just and I and I get it. I, I I'm glad to have an answer to the question. <laughs> I lo- yeah, see. I mean, again, this the movie's having fun right now. By the way, the movie, the idea that this guy just has to constantly shoot everything in order for it to appear. <laughs> Jacob like, has to like, shoot everyone. Yeah, Jacob. Yeah, that is Jacob from Lost. By the way, um, <laughs> that he has to shoot everything in order for it to appear like a suicide when it's so blatantly not. I mean, this is laugh out loud funny <laughs> stuff. Like, you know, and it's it's played broadly. Uh, as far as David Lynch goes broad, but you know, it's it's um, was this in the pilot at all or no? Yeah, this scene was in the pilot, nice. and it made it had no and made no sense at all because they don't ever come back to right. this character in the pilot. Right. It's um, like okay, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like watching a Bollywood film for the first time. It's yeah, like you're not prepared you're going to be like <laughs> what? exactly you have no frame exactly reference. exactly exactly. But you then you're into it. Then you're kind of like after a couple well, of them, you're after, sort of like, after you get used to it. Yeah, you get used to the form, and then you're sort of like, all right, this is this is how they do things, and that's that's fine, I guess. Like that, you know. I remember, you know, I remember seeing uh, I'm Cuba, and that I had never seen a movie like that before. Uh, before I had seen it, and um, and I had a hard time watching and sort of understanding it until I saw Black Orpheus. Uh, and then I saw Black Orpheus. And I'm like, wow, there's something about the way South Americans 
put their films together uh, that I sort of like, okay, I, I kind of, I'm kind of digging on this. And that sort of leads you, or at least like there's elements that you might dig. So it allows you to unlock other parts of it. And I, and David Lynch is much the same way. Again, I can't, I can't understate the magnitude of Twin Peaks and how it really just enraptured people, uh, especially that first season. And therefore people were sort of willing to go along for the David Lynch ride, or maybe he spoon fed parts of his sensibility in that series enough to where, people could sort of access this in the chat room ewing says why you got to call him black morpheus he's just morpheus why can't he just be morpheus why is it always gonna be a black thing with you ha 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 i think it's a little unfortunate that it's a little condescending to to hear things like that i mean art the idea the concept of art appreciation is a little condescending in itself yeah it's like oh well you you have have to to learn appreciate it and i think that actually creates like this kind of bad rap so people actually it, it's almost like favoritism to, well, to yeah, not it's like, like these it's kind like of things. The first time, I don't know, I'm assuming this is the case with everybody. Most people like beer, and most people, the first time they had beer, they fucking hated it. Yep. Yeah. This is sure. like if you didn't start drinking beer at college, you started drinking beer at the wine tasting club. And they gave and, you a PBR. And, right. And Well, no, 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 no. But what I mean is, <laughs> what I mean is they're talking about... It has sort of a hickory aftertaste and this, that, and the other. And you're just like, <laughs> what the sure, fuck? No. <laughs> and then they all look at you like you're an asshole. Like, that's the way I feel that's about it. That's an extremely uh, great analogy. That's, that's, that's absolutely the way it is. Anyway, that's the way I feel about this. And, I had, and, and I we had should talk learn... about the movie more and less about me and no, but no, my, but no, my but this shortcomings. Is, this is, this is, I mean, if you can't access a movie for whatever reason, you that's worth discussing. Uh, no, I mean, I, I feel like I had to learn to appreciate wine. I'm still, I don't like drinking a lot of wine, but... Now I've had enough of it to where I can, you know, kind of be into it. The, the other thing here is that this entire time Naomi Watts is still acting in this, you know, sort of overactory, young way, ingenue, young ingenue young, way. And even her backstory, character. even her backstory, she kind of, even yeah. her, even her backstory, she like tells it to, um, to uh, you know, earlier on when she's talking about it, where she's from and everything. It seems just very sort of stock and rote and uh, yeah, and and trope. Yeah, and and therefore it's. And therefore, it's interesting that there's obviously more layers here, and you get that only through her performance, not necessarily through. Uh, it the, slowly the opens up. It yeah. slowly blossoms into this bigger. It's, it's like a puzzle box in a lot of ways. How it just sort of unlocks, and like the way she acts sort of casts a new light on what she tells you earlier on. Now, this you can tell was obviously like part of the pilot, like where she got this money from. That was, they were going to set that up series yeah. wide for. You yeah, know, this was all in the pilot to be a thing. And you can see elements of how this would make for a decent pilot, like how parts of this could be like, yeah, okay, I see where you're going, you know, where you're setting shit up. Because when it comes to making a pilot, you've got to make an entertaining TV show, and you've also got to uh, set things up over a period of, of time, and that fucking thing. There we go. Yeah. Here's the first David Lynch. <laughs> yeah. David Lynch is watching you. A chunky color object that... It has no real context. And what? is totally fantastical. Do we know why the pilot didn't get picked up? Because uh, look at it. I mean, <laughs> it's, just, it's a bit It's a bit. It much. literally... So I could be an executive is what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. Right. Cut this movie in half, right? Yeah. And then try to make sense of that. <laughs> I think I'd have a better shot at it, to be honest. And then, and then you know, try and convince Hello. a studio was in to a, pick it up. She was in uh, Showgirls. <laughs> They were. She was being what? serious. I'm being serious. Yeah, she was in Showgirls. She played uh, the like the one of the other strippers at the strip club. She's nipples with a body. I'm glad attached. to see that Sting came back to work with Lynch. <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah, I thought good. that was uh, Ron Wood. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, where that is? Uh, I, 
No, yeah, the I'm that's off of uh, that's Labrea, yeah. right? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's Pink's. No, the street. I'm just saying the streets that the street they're at. That is a Labrea right down in the one of the seedier parts of Hollywood, actually. That's a, Are you sure? I think so. It looks like Labrea. That one building over there. Well, they're right around the corner from Pink's, which is on Labrea. That is, yeah, yeah Pink's. Pink's. So yeah, it's it's on Labrea somewhere. So like a Labrea and Melrose. The La Brea Tar Pits, oddly enough, not on La Brea. Really? They're on Wilshire, <laughs> they were. Or Fairfax. Fairfax, yeah, over in uh, by the, the stadium. Lies. Yeah. Oh, lies. This is where they start so, to kind of uh, figure. Naomi Watts was kind of like childhood friends with um, uh, Nicole Kidman. Nicole Kidman. Uh, but you never released. You haven't really seen them do anything together. Uh, and they well, Curious. They were, they were in a great movie <laughs> in Australia together. Oh, which one? Um, God, if only I can remember the name of it. Right. It was. Uh, it was like a... It was kind of like Dead Poet Society in Australia. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, Australian cinema, by the way. If you, I mean, you want, talk, you want to talk about uh, um, you want to talk about like some of the best sort of exploitate exploitative stunty. We don't give a shit how many people die. Talk about Australian cinema in the seventies. There's a really great movie called Not Quite Hollywood. It's a documentary about like during the Mad Max era of of Australian cinema and how they just did not give a shit and uh, and made some pretty awesome films. Go check it out if you get a chance. I think it's on Netflix streaming. Not quite Hollywood? Not, not quite Hollywood, yeah. I think Young Einstein is a really great representation of Australian <laughs> cinema. I think Jacko is a very yeah. good representation yeah. of, <laughs> of Australian rugby players uh, who, who hawk for energized batteries. <laughs> if, if you're like the three people who are old enough to remember Jacko. Um, Sadly. Yeah, I know. So, so uh, palm I remember- trees. Do you know palm trees did not, they didn't originate in Los Angeles? They're, they're transported here? Really? Yeah. From where? Florida. I don't know. Not right. here. Palm trees. Palm Fuck trees Florida. are fake when it comes to Los Angeles. Yeah, we're, the word we're you're looking big, for is indigenous. Desert. Yeah, they're we're, not indigenous to Los Angeles. We're a big ass desert here, folks. Yeah. So when I was going to when I saw this, it was uh, this came out a month and a day after nine eleven. Yes, so it imagine did. that mindset. Yeah. <laughs> first of all, people wanting escape. I was already crying, in. Chad. <laughs> you were. And I, this... I thought I was about to get drafted. What are you talking about? <laughs> Um, oh God, Chris in the military. Did, yeah. uh, when did uh, Lord of the Rings come out? Fellowship. Lord of the Rings was uh, two thousand. Yeah. It was like no, no, right no, no, two thousand one, two thousand one of December. Oh, so was it one, two, and three? Yeah. So Lord of the Rings came out after September eleventh. Relatively yeah. the same period. That makes a lot of sense. People wanted sort of the broad story escapism. Of, well, very, I think very, they got lucky. I don't think they they planned on September eleventh in pre production. No, that's true. That's true. <laughs> or did they? Oh shit! <laughs> All right, everyone out right now. We go down this road. We ain't ever coming back. Naomi Watts is actually Osama bin Laden in this movie. <laughs> Osama bin Laden is hot. And by the communicative property, so is Nicole Kidman. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Down in front, in your mouth. We got attacked by Australia? <laughs> it makes so much sense. So anyway, to finish that story. She is the Wizard of Oz. I was going to University of Colorado at the time. and Oh, that was a good joke. A year later, um, every year they have this thing called Conference of World Affairs at, at University of Colorado in uh, May. And, Colorado thinks pretty highly of themselves, don't and, they? And uh, Roger Ebert would come out every year. He'd been he had been doing this ever since the seventies, and he would pick one movie every year. So basically, we'd we'd spend Monday watching it, and then Tuesday through Friday, we would literally sit down for four hour sessions and watch a movie, uh, frame by frame, scene by scene. We and the movie he picked that year was Mulholland Drive, mm-hmm. and so we had a an audience full of five hundred people. Watching Mulholland Drive frame by frame, I'm sure some people in the chat room are stabbing themselves in the eyes right now. Yeah, but uh, just to be fair, Fig, no one, we weren't able to figure out the movie. 
<laughs> no, I was just thinking. I think this is Tim Allen's house from Galaxy Quest. Uh, no. <laughs> this is a you no, sure? but this house does the has pool been used. and the vit and the view looks pretty similar. This this pool has been, this house has been used a few times in various movies and whatnot. I actually have a uh, a buddy who owns a house near here, um, kind of a self made guy. I've been wondering like, where this house is. James. Isn't that Billy Ray Cyrus? It is Billy Ray yes. Cyrus. Miley Cyrus was born in the scene or conceived. <laughs> conceived in the scene. Yeah, she might have been. I love how, I love how the the pool cleaner has like the the <laughs> words like, of advice. <laughs> it's better this way. <laughs> Thanks, Gene Clean. Um, well, this is even this is the total emasculation of him. Right. This is. Uh, what do you think his like this character Justin Theroux's character's relation to Naomi Watts's character and how the, his story sort of. Is it part of her story, or does it run parallel, or is it, I mean, how do you how do you I guys? Because I, I that, that was my big mo- thing. I, I could never quite figure out where I feel he like she she feels like he wants her in the movie, and the only reason I say that is because the first time they see each other in the movie, they have this long gaze. It's like held, yeah, and and I feel like she just imagines imagines this whole scenario where every everybody working behind the curtain is like literally. Fucking with that, yeah. Telling him, well, no, you have to cast this girl, Camilla. I always felt yeah. like that this part right here was, uh, this part right here is basically her imagining his, like she's trying to imagine just how shitty she she she's trying to imagine him getting his his comeuppance. Like it's going through different, different. Like first of all, we see that it wasn't his fault that she didn't get cast. Now we're seeing now she's mad at him. Now she's going through. His, I just want to imagine him just getting totally fucking screwed. So now we have Billy she, Ray. Yeah. There we go. So so he gets punched. His wife is cheating on him, and he's made to feel like it's his fault. Like all of this is, you know, <laughs> his life is turning to crap right now, and it's all because he hasn't hasn't gotten her in the film. And if you listen to the soundtrack right now, it's nothing but like these hard sort of like organ stings that are sort of almost silent movie-ish, um, and just how like and how like dramatic it's playing this. Really, just kind of fucking stupid, like moment, like of just, yeah. of just total, almost like almost sitcommy, like you know, he pours paint in her jewelry to make her mad. It's his worst day ever, folks. You know, uh, if you ever seen well, once again, looks, he kind of looks like Teague with all that yeah. paint. No, I know that's, it's all it's all it's all a play. It's all there for a reason. Yeah. Uh, if he had red hair right now. <laughs> if you ever watch, uh, speaking of like how this guy looks like Steven Soderbergh, uh, the informant with Matt Damon, that's about uh, like a guy involved in a a price fixing scandal for, for uh, lysine, the most, you know, white collarist of crimes. And you know how the FBI is investigating after every little, yeah, I think we should change the price here. It hits these big, these big 007 style James Bond cues, which are just hysterical. Okay. So a hat box. When was the last time you saw someone use a hat box? Clearly you don't keep heads. Baby. Yeah. I keep all my baseball caps in a hat box. You do? No, I, I don't Thank own a God. baseball cap. No suitcases and hat boxes. Shrimp hats, shrimp hat boxes, shrimp, see, I, shrimp I, stew, see, shrimp creole, like, shrimp sandwich, in the theater, shrimp on the bob, shrimp. Sorry. In the theater, like up at this point specifically, where she says we're gonna shake on it, like aside from the little blue key thing, I thought like, man, this is the most like lamest thing david lynch yeah. has ever done it's the most aw shucks it's it's yeah and it's just well i mean just uh, the movie up until now i'm like well this is a this is a movie it isn't until a little bit later here um that you actually realize oh shit i'm in for something more uh because and then and how he's been sort of almost tricking you this entire time that's with, the funniest with thing about this movie yeah it's yeah. like literally i remember the first time i saw it i was like all right 
That's what I remember the most about this movie is like is like the. I think that's the manifestation of your years of film school, where you're talking about how you'll just let something wash over you for a while, because you got an hour into Mulholland Drive and you're like, all right, we get. And I got an hour into Mulholland Drive and I have never been more mad. (laughs) Well, here's the thing: I grew up watching a lot of older cinema, and I notice how I didn't say classic because something I learned very early on is that just because something is in black and white and has maybe an old actor, it's it's not necessarily good. There's a lot of bad bad old movies um and, and any genre and uh there's bad noir there's like really bad noir there's really bad romantic comedies that make today's romantic comedies look like citizen kane and um so watching this it made me feel like i'm watching just a classic bad movie like i'm watching i mean hail the conquering heroes is good and fun and and a lot of people consider it a classic but it's very very broad and cheesy and like i just felt like i was watching a very broad sort of you know, Frank Capra on a sugar high sort of like uh, movie with little touches of David Lynch here and there, mostly in the beginning. Because since that creepy hobo and the scary old folks, we really haven't uh, had like a lot of what you would normally associate with mysterious, dark and brooding. Um, It's been just sort of these weird meandering interstitial sort of floating segments um, with this central mystery of like a, of her mistaken or her lost identity. That was our so. first real glimpse into potential uh, name swappery. Yeah. Name swappery. I like that. An actress. Chris, you've been quiet for a while. Yeah, well, a lot of the things that I've been wanting to talk about, you guys have been nailing a lot better than I ever could because you're much <laughs> I more educated. I want to hear your shitty Fuck version you, Chris. of these points. <laughs> you're more educated than I am on this one. I had to learn on my own. I didn't get to go to film school. Why do your glasses say DNG? Because they're Dol- Dolce, Dolce and Gabbana. Gabbana. Goddamn, son. Wow. Yeah. All right. That's fancy pants. I've been really trying, baby. Aw, <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. I one of the, I I like that there's there's a certain innocence about all this and I I, I don't want to one of the other reasons I didn't want to say anything right now is I didn't want to repeat myself because a lot of this first part of the film is dealing with that kind of the projection of innocent Ashok's golden Hollywood right. on her situation and right now you see you know the the wink while she's talking to the the police captain and all Bing. of these over obvious beats um, even the cinematography a little bit oh. is kind of. Uh, immature, I want to say. Thank you. It's very TV. It's yeah. it's very t- with with the exception of like the shots that are in the um, the studio executive in the midget in the Twin Peaks room. You know, it's very TV. It's very sort of squared yeah. off two shot coverage coverage. And, and, and that was in the pilot. Yeah. And but <laughs> it ends up taking on a different. It ends up adding to the the nostalgia factor. It ends up feeding into that instead of, you know, oh, well, it was supposed to be on TV. Well, now it just further reinforces it in a movie context. You know what one of the more interesting things um, thematically is for me personally, one of my favorite themes to play with? Uh, it all came from one picture, actually. And I wrote I wrote the better part of a feature once and all of a short story based on one picture that I saw one time. And incidentally, I know the person that is in the picture. I, I met her years after I saw it in the first place. But what happened was... I forget what the project was for, but there was a picture of this girl, and she was in a like a like a pastel blue psych, not like a blue screen psych, mm-hmm. but like a 1950s better homes and gardens kind of. I'm holding up a this kind of setup, and she had a like a flowery dress, and she was made up, and she looked like a 50s housewife, and she was holding up a blender, one of those blenders that you hold in your hand and it has the two spinning things on it. 
you know, one of those things. And she was holding it up against her temple like it was a gun. And she had this crazed look in her eyes and she was grinning. It was like the most <laughs> fucked up thing I've ever seen in my life. It's this picture of like a perfect 50s housewife who's about to kill herself with her blender. That gave me everything I needed for like a bunch of shit, right? And, you know, there's a little bit of that in uh, Summer That's Green and Little Shop, too. Uh, even though it's not- <laughs> Damn. I was not watching the film. I did that um, uh, to Tesla earlier, actually. A, a large fat man punched a skinny white woman. Is there something about Mulholland Drive then? Well, just old Hollywood gets there for me almost on full credit. It's on its, it's like old Hollywood is a credit card for me, and you can keep cashing it, and I'm not going to charge you. Right. Uh, I was looking forward to this because I love the iconography that's present in the advertising. I love the Mulholland Drive sign. And I love the uh, conflicted, depressed, crying, blonde actress from the 40s or 50s or whatever. That look. Everything about this should be speaking to me. And I'm, out, I'm, off, I'm off the bandwagon of wanting to figure out why it doesn't. It's just I, I love that theme. I love that very much. In fact, I wrote, I wrote a, a short story about uh, if you took – I based it on my uh, – a girlfriend that I had years ago that Chris knows actually or, or at least had met at the time. But that girl, I put her brain – in the brain of a 50s, uh, you know, varsity high schooler girl. So they're, you know, you're looking at make-out point, and it's just car, car, car. One car that's going, car, car, and we just kind of slowly glide into the one that's getting, people are fucking in that car. And you just hear the voiceover. You hear these people talking where it's like this, you know, the boy is just sort of unsure and all all those things. And the girl is like, are you going to come? Like that vibe is just fucking I love that so much. It's just so such a weird inversion. And Mulholland Drive, I would love for it to be that. And if not, if not this, I would love to see a movie like that. I don't know. There's a million reasons why Mulholland Drive, I guess, doesn't work for me. So, I just want fucking a, for a girl in, a var- in her boyfriend's varsity jacket to ask a boy to come on her face. That's what I want to see. Hmm. Hmm. Thematically, I mean. <laughs> uh I, I feel always, like I know so much more about you, know, Big. I always kind of took these scenes to mean, like, he's a director in Hollywood, and he pissed off a studio executive, and now sort of, like, these weird, shadowy, conspiratorial yeah. forces. I always took this to be, like, sort of David Lynch having fun with the idea of the studio system and, and how, how it is to work for the man, as it were, and how the second he pisses off the man, uh, his whole life starts to turn to shit. Um, I always kind of took that from the scenes, at least, uh, you know. Because all of a sudden he's broke and his credit cards don't work. And this is Chris's first know. time doing down in front. We just did another episode before this, but he keeps looking over at my little hookah of doom with a weird look on his face. <laughs> my e-cigarette is. He's like, whoa. Okay, so the cowboy. I love the fucking cowboy. That's iconic. Just the guy with Lynch. no eyebrows. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the guy the, the looks like a cowboy. Uh, he. Um, yeah, it's very icon- a very iconic sort of Lynch character. You know. You know, you know in. Uh, Remember Teenage... Okay, this is going to be the greatest greatest connection ever. Remember Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Sure. Moment where she's freaking out from seeing the turtles for the first time, and she goes, okay, this is a dream, and the guy on the subway, that's you, right? We, the cowboy is this character that we're going to meet, and he's, it's, he's the messenger that basically right. says, you have to do this, and you'll get all your life right. back and everything. Um, and it is the major conduit for, okay, well, maybe he was threatened, and that's why, and it was a cowboy. We actually see later on in the film where she gets that. She sees a oh. cow, we see a cowboy in yeah. the background, and 
it's that's you know well, the, in the theater during Silencio and all that bullshit. No, not there. Oh. No, uh, the, in the real in the real life the where we see the actual events. Quote oh, unquote. Okay. During house. the actual events, you see a cowboy in the background. I mean, there's a lot of parallel, I guess. Not a lot, but I mean, it's almost like Wizard of Oz in how like sort of she incorporates characters and there's, sort of there's, like her, there's not know. a one to one, but there is certain things where you go, okay, well that represents that, and this is her representation of that. Right. In the chat room, Ewing says. And what the fuck does that have to do with Ninja Turtles? <laughs> because I was talking about the when she's when she's going on yeah, about she's the dream. Talking about a dream and how Thanks like you're asking, on the I was subway. Ask. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the light is like everything has to do with Teenage Mutant Ninja surprised, Turtles. I'm kind of surprised. I'm surprised Justin Thoreau didn't get like more out of this. Yeah, post. besides Charlie Angels too, or whatever. Iron Man too. Besides Charlie, well, as a writer. You know oh. what I mean? As like a write, as like a writer, he wrote that. He, you know, he, and he had a small role, uh, guest role in um, Six Feet Under a few years after this, but not like not any sort what of. What else did he, has he written besides Iron Man? Two? He's uh, well, um, uh, what did Favreau do? Uh, shit, uh, Favreau. He, he worked on Favreau with something before that, and then he, uh, you know, I'm sure we can pull it up on IMDb, and I'm sure it'll be in the show notes. But pulling he, it up right now. Yeah, he had been. I mean, he had done some writing before that. He's in the upcoming uh, Your Highness with uh, James Franco, and uh, so he's acting. He's, 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 he's pretty much constantly. Well, American, he was actually. in John Adams. Uh, maybe yeah. Bunch of stuff. All right, writer, three titles. Um, Iron Man, Iron Man 2. Two, Tropic Thunder video Tropic game. Tropic Thunder video game, and, no, but, and and also Tropic Thunder. Yeah, he he co-wrote Tropic Thunder with a uh, with a uh, Stiller. Stiller, That's random. Huh. I think he wrote the spec for that, and then Stiller helped develop it or something. And then apparently he was in American Psycho too. Interesting. Yeah, he was one of the other um, the other executives. Snooty hoots. So. He played Timothy Bryce. Yeah, oh, this scene creeped me out. This was like you see the how, first time. You see how tight we are on like all the faces and whatnot, and like how, I mean, even for Lynch, this is a pretty simple composition. It's a, it's a. He still does all of his usual shadow play stuff, but um, this is the most TV that I think we've seen David Lynch up to this point. So, this is like the first like moment in the movie that's like very dark and you get an idea that something else is going on except for fucking crazy hobo um, right besides the right. crazy hobo yeah with the main character but like, the crazy involved. hobo is so isolated in the movie at that point yeah. that you have no idea what it's you know Whereas this is finally getting to the main character right well if you were psychic you would have known i was unavailable <laughs> how long is this movie it's uh, it's, uh, it's north of two hours it? yeah it's like two two twenty i think something like that two twenty Oh boy! <laughs> you got a bowel movement to take? What? No, I, I walk away for those. We're like oh, halfway okay. through. I mean, we're we're about halfway through the movie. It's not you right know, on. Not that bad. So I'm just wondering uh, when the next round of conversation will start. If you ever watch the Sorrow and the Pity, the four-hour Holocaust documentary, you get about 90 minutes through that, and you, you sort of get to this point where you're like, "I'm about to see tons more dead Jews, aren't I?" Yeah. Well, no, it's while. just like that scene in Extras where Kate Winslet's like, "We get it. It was grim. Let's move on." Yeah, that's that's fair too. So, <laughs> the Holocaust so, was grim. We get it. Let's move on. Um, another another little point here. She doesn't have to work to get an audition. She just suddenly has pages show up at her place. Yeah, for auditions. It just, it just, here's your sides. This is the whole, I, I brought these sides for your audition. Yeah, really. This yeah. is the this is the magic of Hollywood. You yeah. show up, you get pages. You audition, you're going to be a star. Yeah, and, and her up. sort your of this, has them. her very like over exaggerated like like whoa it's almost like david this part of the movie is like david lynch directing a script by brett ratner it's like it's very <laughs> it's very just sort of uh he he's wow. he's poking fun i think and sort of playing with the the tropes of this and that's why I, I keep i i like this movie and that's why i can watch this movie again because i appreciate the the hair pulling he's doing on on this sort of thing and then in the final third he just goes he he pulls the trigger on full david lynch and everything more or less, kind of, sort of comes together, and 
you know, in his own little way. And well, I think he's going to see David Lynch right now. Yeah. In a cowboy hat. This is yeah. This is kind of like the Dark Tower moment where the lead characters meet Stephen King. Spoiler alert: if you haven't read Dark Tower. Son um, of a bitch. Yeah, but uh, but it's sort of it's yeah these. I don't know. Um, what do you remember of this movie, Fig? This scene. <laughs> really? Nipples. Her watching <laughs> something that's happening on a stage. Uh, him with the paint and the jewelry. I'm glad you rem- remembered Rebecca Del Rio because I was going to be really upset if you didn't. Is that the thing that's on the stage? Yeah. Yeah, okay. That and um, anger. <laughs> this movie <laughs> comes from pain. And then a flash of light, a bang, people screaming. <laughs> You were batting. Uh, you're batting uh, three out of four with me, Chad. Uh, you gave me. You gave me Fight Club. You gave me Fear and Loathing. Uh, I gave you Aliens, which I remember you hated Aliens. First basketball time. and uh, Mohan Drive. You uh, deny a- it now. Alien though. and Aliens. I like. I hated Aliens. I th- you deny that you but hated Aliens. I, I liked Alien though, right? It. I did like Alien. Wait, wait, you said you, you hated Aliens. Yes. I think I liked Alien, but not Aliens at the time. Oh, at the time, because when we did Aliens... No, I'm still fine. I'm still fine. You saw Alien in Florida, and then you came here, and I forced you to watch Aliens, and you were like, ugh, I don't like it. Yeah. And then, like, two weeks later, you're like, that movie's amazing. Yeah, well, you know, it's the same thing that happened with Fear and Loathing. I watched it again when I got home. You start to want the movie every day. (laughs) I can see you dressing like this, though. (laughs) Me? Yeah. Wait, like the cowboy or, like, with the blank and pink paint? (laughs) Both. I would love. To, actually, you should start dressing like this cowboy. I actually have a friend who does dress like Justin Theroux's character. Like, to the <laughs> Andy Garfield. Yeah, Andy Garfield. God, I fucking knew you were talking about too. Yep. You're, that's just because he looks like him. It's the same coloring. No, he wears all black. He wears big black horn-rimmed glasses. He has black hair. He spikes it up like that. That's totally it. Yeah. Andy I've Garfield, actually, who the, scored Imps: The Relentless. Yeah. The only and the point with this movie that I actually can't. I've ruined it for frozen. myself because I've seen it so many times. And I, I realized it when I went and saw it at the New Beverly recently. And it was just like, it start, it start, it's starting to get sluggish to the point that it's like, eh. You don't say. But it took me like a good 25 times to get to that You point. were riveted the first 25 times? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ah, okay. Chad, what's this movie about? <laughs> what was David Lynch trying to say with Mulholland Drive? That you're a jerk, Teague. <laughs> I'm asking questions. What's he trying to say? Well, I'm... I, I kind of wonder if he knew what he was trying Philadelphia, to say. Because you know, he, fucking, he, the, the fly is about AIDS. About it. He the fly is about AIDS. What is Mulholland Drive He about? prepared this to be a a TV series. And, you know, he was when he was told, no, you can't have a TV series, he had to figure out, okay, well, what is it now? So he had to totally change his, his perspective on where he was coming from before he even got to finish the movie. You know, he was halfway through it. So... I, who knows what he he won't tell anybody what he wants this movie to be. He he's fine with people being confused. Um, and usually I would I would say well that, that filmmaker's just an asshole. But I, I, David Lynch I, is such a strange dude that it's like you just yeah, kind of let well, it I mean, pass I, over. I've heard him talk and I've been amused by him in conversation. So I think he's all right. He's a little condescending. Yeah, he's well, he's fucking David Lynch, motherfucker. Do you mm-hmm. speak it? But. I would categorize David Lynch. This is such a shitty thing for the guy that doesn't like the movie to say. Uh, it's so obvious and, and easy for me to say this. He's like the asshole Christopher Nolan. Yeah, I can see that. He uh, he's not as clear as Christopher Nolan. That's for sure. Is this, this, is, is that... this is important. This whole thing right here. 
uh, it's hailing outside again. <laughs> it's it's I hailing love slash that snowing. Line. By the way, I love it's this. Snowing line. in Burbank oh, right yeah. now. Well, one, one, it's snowing. One thing, David, it, it is snowing over in Burbank. By the way, people in my office are saying it's snowing right now. <sighs> but uh, this David Lynch knows how to creep you the fuck out just with the tiniest of things. He doesn't make. Bi- I mean, he he has the guy say, "Now you'll see me one more time if you do good, and two more and two times, more times if you do bad." bad. It's so much left unsaid, and it's so goddamn disturbing. Like just because that's great, and we yeah. do see him a second time. And we're seeing the Hollywood sign, but you're also by proxy seeing Mulholland Drive. You're seeing sort of like the road, sort of. Like <laughs> I love the precursor to the audition scene because it's like she's so awful. She's, she's so horrible. fucking awful, and like literally at this point, I was about ready to turn on the movie at this point because I like that scene. <laughs> but then I go back to Amy Watts. I'm like, fuck this woman, whoever. And uh, <laughs> who is this blonde who is actress who never seen? Before? And I I had seen Lena. Uh, before in something uh, like a couple things, she had like a few bit parts and some other stuff. But uh, yeah, this is a—is uh, that snow? Is that hail? Anyway, uh, but like right here, where the way she's acting, she's acting like a soap actress, and and she acts like a soap actress when she's not acting like this, and it's just so damn frustrating. Until you find out that he's been fooling you all along. What did you think, like Chris, when you saw this for the first time? I, I was laughing along with it. I'm like, I, I had already bought into the young ingenue thing. So it wasn't, I wasn't sitting here going, Naomi yeah, Watt is horrible. I was like, top, like, yeah, it's like, I'm like, okay, it's a, it's a dumb actress and she's a part of this thing. I'm more, I'm still trying, at this point in the movie, I myself am still, I'm still thinking about the cowboy. I'm still thinking about that weird key. I'm still trying to piece together things. And so a lot of these things that might normally in a vacuum might turn you off completely I'm willing to go along with it because I'm still trying. I I want to find out what I'm missing, and so I I continue to watch. So literally, what we've determined is that you literally you have to be trained. Your brain has to be trained to be able to sit through the movie long enough to the point that it starts to make more sense. Yeah, and pull you in. And but that's always a very risky <laughs> thing as a filmmaker. How how much rope do you give before right. you hang yourself? You have to have the right amount of balance of patience. Because yeah. on one level, you have to be patient to, let, to give a movie time to let its story to open up, to let it sort of happen over you. On the other hand, you don't want to have too much patience where you're accepting of everything. You need to have a critical eye and you need to have you know, a critical approach to this. And, which is why, I mean, again, not all foreign film I'm into, although I am into some foreign film. Not all classic film am I into, although I do like it. You're ultimately going to have preferences. You're ultimately going to have tastes and sort of expectations that you have to manage. Um, it's all, again, it all ultimately boils down to what you're into. And sometimes you'd be into something without knowing you're into it. And um, watch, just you know, open your vocabulary up. If you want to write, you have to learn more words. It's like yeah, Stephen King says in his book on writing, you know, your grammar is your toolbox. You know, your vocabulary is your, is your toolbox. And therefore, the more you read, you acquire more tools that you can ultimately use when you create. Uh, I think, you know, you kind of owe it to yourself if you're a creator to just open up what you've seen. Now, if you just only watch David Lynch, you may still end up hating him at the end of it. But if you watch sort of filmmakers around him in a cluster, um, that may unlock some of him for you. Um, but as of right now, if you were just watching this without context, you'd be thinking like, wow, David Lynch is a really bad TV director. In the chat room, Ryan asked a question that I'm fascinated by, and I want to get you all three of your responses. So, Chris, you're up first. Here's the question. Okay. What would Lynch have had to do with this movie for you guys not to like it? Wow. It's a really interesting question. I'm not really sure how to answer that. Is that because you accept whatever doesn't make sense is well, good? how no. many different ways can you fuck up a film? There's a lot well, of different I mean, ways to... No, because I hated Lost Highway. Really? 
um, and that felt like it was a very similar movie. Okay, well, Lost, yeah, Lost Highway tried my patience. About. Okay, so what's the difference between the two? Is it the pacing? Is it the like the rope issue that we were just talking about before? Is it in in well, I don't know about for you. I mean, it, it was that there was I, you know there was enough to grab on to in this movie that I could understand what was happening and make some coherent sense out of it to the point that I can tell you that the movie is about an actress that kills herself. That was not a part of Lost Highway. Lost Highway takes a... a de- wow, that is snow. Or Sorry, hail. no, that's hail. That's Where did hail. that come from? That's like a uh, fist-sized <laughs> that, piece of hail. Not, this is not hail. That's, that's so snow. we got snow. distracted Our by wow. snow in Los we're Angeles. Having, we're snow. having a meteorological phenomenon here. Wow. Um, Hold it in front of the webcam. Woot! It's snowing in LA. I'm sorry, people in the future, but this is—I I looked it up earlier. It hasn't snowed in Burbank since 1949. Yep, that's crazy. And, All right. And she just walked in with a handful of snow. Yeah. So you Lost Highway, you did not like. What's the difference between this and Lost Highway? Uh, like I was saying, it's—it's it's literally um, the amounts of stuff that it gives you to grab onto that you can literally—you can make sense out of it. You can feel for a character. Um, Lost Highway doesn't give you that. You're not able to f- you think you know what's going on in lost highway and then suddenly it just goes in some direction and you have right. no fucking idea what's going on anymore you can't hold on to anything and here's anyway here's one of the better scenes in the movie now yeah this is like yeah. the turning point of the movie this, here. This, this, is, this is the pivotal moment this is actually what keeps you invested for the rest of the movie because the the movie kind of loses its goddamn mind a little bit later on but the scene what the scene did is is that it sort of unlocked everything you'd seen before it unlocks her as a character, as an actress, and makes you realize, wow, David, David Lynch has sort of been playing me this entire time. Yeah. Uh, making me think that all this was bad when reality, this is just sort of, we're obviously seeing something bigger happen with her. Um, it's, but it, it, Lost Highway, there weren't enough breadcrumbs. There's breadcrumbs in this movie up until this point. There's little bits of humor, and there's things that you are sort of quirky and you kind of like, and it's just enough to keep you along till this moment where it kind of this is the movie where the the film kind of sinks its talons into you and then once it does that then you're along for the rest of the ride and there's a reason why i think this comes about exactly halfway through um you know if you're going by the the sid field idea of of the the fish scale <laughs> idea of how to structure a script this is a good structure point this is a good like tent pole yeah. in the middle of your movie to sort of keep you going and sustain you. <laughs> I, I, love, um, I love the director's words here. This is, for the, the one thing you need to understand about all this, the, the introductions around, everyone being so happy, this is the anti-audition. Any audition that you go into is a cattle call or whatnot, and you, you don't get to meet people. Yeah. Not everyone is they're all nice. Work, they're and, workshopping yeah. the scene right Oh, yeah. we've been waiting for you. Let's have you audition. Here's the full cast. You know, yeah. Like, it doesn't happen that way, folks. Ladies, if you're thinking about coming to L.A. Eddie, the whole chat room disagrees with your last tangent there. About which one? Uh, whatever, I wasn't listening. I was watching the movie. About Lost Highway? <laughs> whatever you were saying. About, about, look at him now. Okay, so folks, you disagree that this movie gives you breadcrumbs to follow the, uh, to to follow follow the thing, plot? Or is it about the structure? Well, the, I mean, I, what Chad was saying about Lost Highway, where it, it just goes off in a different direction, you don't know what to expect. I felt that about this. But right. you guys are clearly more equipped to watch this movie anyway, so I probably missed whatever breadcrumbs this movie has. There's parts of this movie that are, uh, there's a lot of mystery to it, so you always, the idea, it's kind of like with Lost, the idea that you know, there's um, uh, you you feel like at some point something is going to be revealed that unlocks everything. That doesn't actually happen in this movie, but there's enough to get most of it. And at this point, this is the point in the movie for me <laughs> where I just really yeah. He has where, to say and action. I feel action. like this is more just, clear than Lost ever ended up being in the very end. Um, debatable, but it's you know it's a matter of. But again, I you know this performance. 
is enough to rewatch this movie, uh, the, the, especially with the scene here, which she sort of does. Uh, and it's, and what the genius of it is, the way she reads it originally when she's like going over the sides it's the in the worst kitchen, ever. it's the worst read ever. And the fact that she's capable of the worst read of those lines and the single best read of those lines uh, it makes it very entertaining. Yeah, it's funny because seeing this scene like by itself, I don't think it's a very good audition that she does. No, but it's up until in context. But in, in, context, in context, you're like, holy like, what shit. the hell? <laughs> this yeah. is amazing. <laughs> and I, it's very tempting to just sort of sit and, and watch the scene sort of unfold. And if you haven't seen this movie, again, this is not the movie to watch blind with listening to Down in Front if you've never seen it before. Yeah. Otherwise, you might as well just watch, like, the visualizer on your iTunes. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, the but this scene alone is, you know, it's 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 worth it. For me, like I said, it sort of unlocked it. Lost Highway to me, it just, there were, like, I remember there's a sex scene early on in Lost Highway with uh, Patricia Arquette, correct? Am I correct on that? She's, she does fuck a lot. Yeah. Well, yeah, but, like, there's, like, it's, like, I don't know. crazy slow motion on her rippling boob uh, during with some weird sound design underneath it very early in the film. And I remember watching that going, I'm actually bored by this. Like, I'm actually, <laughs> why is this boring me? I'm watching Patricia Arquette have sex in slow motion, and... It's kind of boring me right now. There's something inherently wrong with this. You know, uh, this is unrelated to that, but in terms of slow motion sex scenes, uh, Antichrist is not a movie that you should really watch. Fucking hell! But the first, <laughs> but the first three minutes of Antichrist is it's, the best short film I've ever seen in my life because it's, it's pure sex. No, it's black and white, and it's shot at like 400 frames per second, and it's beautiful. Like the photography is right. amazing, and it's the sex scene, and there's opera music, and it's like the most moving thing you've ever seen in your life, and it's fucking awesome. And the rain is hitting, right. and it's splashing, and it's awesome. And then Antichrist is about Willem Dafoe getting his penis cut off. It's great. Right. It's awesome. Uh, there's, there's a but seriously, number... watch the intro. To, it's on YouTube, I'm sure. But great. fucking Antichrist. Open, opening scene. It's awesome. There's a number of uh, films I'm extraordinarily glad I saw before I became a father. Uh, because And that's one of them. Uh, because that movie is about you know the fact that they're they're having sex and their son falls out a window um, <laughs> while they're doing it. So like uh, it's you know so that you know uh, dear Zachary, I'm really glad I got oh, to God. see these things before I became a father because I'd be a goddamn wreck uh, if I saw them now. Um, so anyway, so the the look on her face here, like there's just so much going on uh, just in this one moment, uh, and you can tell it's not just her acting. It's like there's a lot of. If if like the idea that there's a lot of things about her character that are repressed that they sort of hint at, you, these are like the first glimpses at it. So what Chris was saying with yeah. the the grand the grandparent type people early on that you saw in that house, there's a hint of abuse there. Uh, this is where you really kind of see just how damaged and broken she is for real. And <laughs> oh my god, quick applaud before yeah, that, everyone... was, that was in the theater. That was the big applause. Like people were clapping. Like that was like there was like a big decompress after. Like holy shit, you know. Speaking of auditions and Chad Peter, you're like thank God she's not actually a bad actress. When uh, yeah. Chad Philip Peter, the filmmaker sitting here, uh, was auditioning girls for the send off. <laughs> I had been I was <laughs> visiting Los Angeles, and he had you're me. So proud of this. He had me. No, not I've got that. video of this by the way. After he had me read story. lines. I'm not an actor, with this really hot blonde actress chick, and they were girl lines. Now, I'm not saying that resulted in me being the way I am now. He didn't have red hair at the time. Nope. <laughs> I was this fucking pat, but it just fucking, oh, God, it was the most mortifying thing I've ever been a part of. And, and he still, it should he still, be up on YouTube tomorrow, He still tomorrow, does folks. have this footage. I, he showed me this footage a, a year or two ago, and it's... Um, oh, I would just like to point God. out that... Michelle Hicks is in this scene. 
And, Which uh, one is she? In she's got her? the black rim glasses, the dark hair on the left. Right there. There. What's yeah. her deal? She was a lead actress in Twin Falls, Idaho. Oh, okay. And she's gorgeous, and she's only been in like these two movies, and that's it. I don't understand. Twin it. Falls, Idaho. That's actually a really yeah. That's the with the conjoined twins. Yeah. Who, um, yeah. yeah. I remember seeing that. Yeah, that was when I was that came out when I was in school, and um, that was when I was like devouring as much independent cinema as I could. And that's a very Lynchian movie. Too. That that yeah that that I mean that's got a structure and it's very intimate, and you can tell they shot around their budget. Um, you said Lynchian. Well, what does Lynchian terms, mean? Lynchian, in terms of visual style, it looks like okay, it belonged well, in. Well, like, I don't mean not aside from the comparison. We know what Kubrickian means and Spielbergian well, means. Well, as, far as, as mean? far as um, does that mean structure and everything? It, that movie is very coherent and makes sense from beginning to end. It's very <laughs> out the left window. It's raining, and out the right window, it's not. Okay. Anyway, define Lynchian. What does that mean? I, you know, to me, it means something very different than it probably means to you well let's use yours and we'll me we'll it's kind of almost like a visual style like everything when i think of lynch i almost think of like a fog filter over the lens because everything's very hazy and like you said very tv kind of looking um well I, I think this movie is tv looking not necessarily some of his other stuff you know what i mean like i was just saying that referring to like a few of the scenes early on pavlich in the chat room says lynchian fucking weird alienating and nostalgic <laughs> does that work for you guys Alienating. Yeah, if it makes him happy, sure. sure I, I, I don't know. I mean, fucking um, Jeff Dunham is alienating to me. So <laughs> me uh, too. Six one, half dozen the other. Um, if one of those girls was bleeding out of her eyeballs, that would be the that would make me so happy. Not because I want to see them hurt, <laughs> but that's the image that I love. Uh, just I, just, I, just fit, like fucking just, twisted, but fifty bizarre. I love this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's. I mean, I think nostalgia. I mean, a big part. <laughs> A big part of this movie to me... Lalide says, a Lynch movie is basically a hate fuck with logic. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I, I know you guys, you in the chat room, people on the couches and people on the chat Maybe room this movie is. But it's a funny sentence to put together. It's a hate sure. fuck with logic. Uh, in almost a literal sense, this movie kind of is. It, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I feel like this movie, there's a thing how we try to candy color the past and try to, you know, nostalgia is kind of often the, the, the enemy of truth. And um, that's, I mean, there, there's... An idea of expectation management and how we idealize something and how it if we sort of like saw that thing originally for what it is, we could deal with it. But when we set up big expectations and or we look too fondly at the past for what it was, it can crush you and it can sort of fracture somebody and, and your soul. And I kind of feel like there that's one of the themes that's sort of explored in this movie is the idea that, you know, I mean, what is Hollywood? It's It's dreams. It's not reality. People don't. People don't come to Hollywood to make something that helps somebody directly in their life. Then it's about creating illusion and fantasy, and how that and and how the breaking of that illusion can break you if you're not fully prepared for it. So we have this connection between uh, Naomi Watt and Justin Thoreau right going on here, which is kind of the first time that we we start to really actually see something that's connected to actual history yeah. of the real people. Where the other stories are starting to connect. Yeah, the, the other stories are starting to now come close to what actually happened in this life. So she's doing these auditions and he's going to have to be forced to pick this person instead of her. And this, everything has been up to now an explanation as to why she didn't get the part. I kind of wonder if David Lynch had conversations like this before with actresses just saying, you're so mean to me. I wish you would just give me this part. Well, he was. I mean, you know, there is sort of a weird uh, correlation with really brilliant auteur directors and how dicks they are to their female actors. I mean, both Kubrick and uh, 
um, Hitchcock were yeah. extraordinarily mean to some of their their um, their leading ladies. Um, what's that? Camilla. Camilla. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, and from what I understand, David Lynch is nothing but just an extraordinarily kind gentleman uh, and very warm and friendly. And, and, and every time I've heard him interviewed, very intelligent. If you lived in Los Angeles and back when Indy 1031 was actually on the air, uh, every morning on the radio show at 9 a.m., David Lynch would call in to do the weather, do the weather report. And it was never like, you know, <laughs> as you would understand a weather report, it was always like, it was like, this is David Lynch with your weather. Today, it is 64 degrees. Think about enjoying warmth, and it would just be like that, and then that would be it. And there, and it would always be the uh, the theme song to Racerhead uh, to start off with that, that that weird sort of flangey. And it just, for whatever reason, it worked. And sometimes it was little pieces of advice. Sometimes it was a quote. Sometimes it was just saying like, "Go play baseball today." It was just like, just like, "Thanks, Grandpa." There's Melissa George. Speaking of now, Melissa George, wow, yeah. she's uh, she wasn't like a no name at this point. She's she, uh, she's done she, some. Big, she did big Alias movies. after this. Yeah. And, she, oh, that's right. And she did Alias. recently, she was on Grey's Anatomy again because uh, she's blah, been blah, a lot blah. of movies too. Um, <laughs> the Alaska Vampire movie, whatever the hell. Oh, was, um, Thirty Days. Thirty Days a Night. She was in that. Or, yeah, she was in that. Kate Beckinsale was in Whiteout, which is both there, both based on comic books. There was there was a film critic buddy of mine. We were talking about the fact that Camilla Ro- Rhodes, the name, actually two different actresses, portray that character. And what David Lynch was trying to say with the Rita, Betty, Diane, Camilla, and how much of that is actually just different parts of... No, I, I keep saying Naomi Watts because it's the best way to keep track of it in terms of reality, dream, or whatnot. But her, her psyche is split off in different ways. And how much of that is Camilla as an actual separate person? And how much of that is herself kind of... Uh, Rita. Rita has been talked a lot about just being a different part of herself. In terms of directors and how David Lynch seems gentlemanly and all that, I don't know. I don't know much about David Lynch, but I, it occurred to me recently that I've seen very little John Waters filmmaking, but a lot of John Waters interviews, and I can't imagine anyone ever finding him to be a disagreeable person. Like you can watch, you can watch. I was talking about this earlier. It's like it, it broke my heart when I watched uh, interviews with Rick Moranis, and he seemed kind of like a douche. And I'm like, there's no. My brain was not ready to accept that, but. That being the case, now I still you, now, don't accept that. I know, but now you can. But now at this point in my life, I can imagine that Rick Moranis could be kind of a douche in the wrong scenario. I can't imagine that John Waters walked off the set of Letterman and then was an asshole again. Like he seems just thoroughly cool and nice and very sweet. You know, and this being the guy that fucking made all those John Waters pictures, but he just seems like fucking an awesome guy, like uh, Darabont level awesome, with a mustache. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it is. So. He taught, he taught me what felching is. They're going to the <laughs> Oh, he taught me. No, notice, notice that establishing shot, how it's like pushed all the way in and uh, on the zoom, and it's like crazy shaky as a result. Which shot? Uh, the the oh, establishing yeah. shot of the trees as they were driving by. You can tell they zoomed all the way in on it, and therefore every little rattle shows up, and it's handheld, and it's just very kind of odd It shows and up throughout the movie, too, yeah. He's, David Lynch has an extraordinarily great ability to comfort you, comfort you, and then disturb the hell out of you with very subtle visual cues and, and a line of dialogue and tiny little moments. And he knows exactly when to unnerve you. And um, It's funny that those shots weren't actually in the pilot. Yeah. Hmm. the uh, Most of the trans- transitory stuff. Wait, was it a clock wipe? What was, like, was it would literally just cut right into a scene. Hmm. Like they just cut off the front of it. Hmm. And I don't know if they actually had to go back and shoot the openings of some of these scenes. But... Right. Um, this scene was actually towards the 
this is one of the last scenes in the pilot um, where they go in, they find the body. And well, now I totally know why the show didn't get picked up because, my God, they haven't even started to scratch the surface. Yeah. They right. literally go in, they show the body, and then they, they cut to a shot of the key. A pilot laying needs on the bed, and then that's the end of the, ep- the yeah, pilot a, episode. A pilot at least needs to, you know, set up the something. story, something. Well, I mean, it it kind of it sets it sets up the characters. I mean, I mean, the end of the pilot of Lost, I think, was just a hey, guys, where are we? You know, I mean, it wasn't <laughs> anything spectacular. It just it hinted at what was the potential. But we just know the premise, like people right. stranded on a deserted island. Well, like, I, I don't okay. even get that. Okay, with no, this. from the pilot, you get the premise that okay. Uh, Chick uh, gets in an accident, has amnesia. She has a, a big box of money and a, a blue key that unlocks something. Yeah, but the problem is that most of the mystery isn't even around the main character. Like, she's not – she's the supporting character. In well, this. Twin Peaks, I mean, who killed La- uh, Laura Palmer was was the, quote, centralized mystery. But right. the, the majority of mysteries were all about all the supporting characters. That was what Twin Peaks – the success of Twin Peaks was, is that it created a world and all of these rich characters that – Regardless of screen time, were extraordinarily vibrant and had stories you wanted to follow. You know, I I think that's sort of the problem with um, why this wasn't picked up was that maybe they uh, weren't as vibrant. Well, no, well, in the sense that actually, when I watched the pilot for Twin Peaks recently, and I had never seen it before, um, to me it wasn't, it didn't pull me in hmm. um, the same way that the pilot for this didn't pull me in, hmm. and I feel like it was almost like Twin Peaks had to happen when it happened. Right. And it couldn't have happened today. Agreed. And I mean, and I don't think you could pull off a loss now. I think I think loss is a product of 2004. Well, that's why that's the event isn't itself. working. Exactly. Which I mean, you know, I, the I, I don't think the first Spider-Man movie would have been as colossal of a hit now as opposed to 2002. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. I'm a, I'm a detractor with the rest of the different. I actually like the I actually like Spider-Man too. Just like Indiana Jones wouldn't have worked today either. No, I think it would have. Easy Tiger. I think it would have. Easy Tiger. I think, I think yeah, it yeah, yeah, yeah. would totally. All right. I, I, there's, there's some but, things about, like, okay. Chris, your seat is spring-loaded. Keep talking. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Prepare the rancor. Yeah. So <laughs> there, are certain, there's, <laughs> there are certain things, not even in just in terms of genre, but also what we accept as being okay. Like, for example, in the 1980s, you'd get away with a lot more in a movie than you could now without, you know, the MPAA jumping all over you. Indiana Jones was one of the first PG-13 movies there was, correct? Uh, Gremlins was the first. Gremlins was the first. Yeah. But they practically invented PG-13 for those Spielberg. movies. Yeah. <laughs> the first Spielberg. I think it was Temple like, of Doom, wasn't it? Uh, the first one I was aware of was Gremlins. I'm sure it'll be in the show notes. But yeah. Let me find that out. So, so basically, like, okay, so Porky's. There's one that you can't, you know. Porky's you think, is pretty tame if you look stripes. back at it. Fast Times is more insane than Porky's is. Fast Times. But there's I, stuff that Fast can... Times actually has underage nudity in it. Wow, really? Yeah. yeah. So does uh, American Beauty. Yeah, American Beauty. Thor well, Amer- was 16. Yeah. But that's artistic. Sorry. Oh, yes, it was. In my dreams, it was. Anyway. Like, let's get back to this. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, yeah. In explicit violence and gore in the films Indiana Jones, Temple of Doom, and Gremlins caused an uproar, hence PG-13. Yeah, it Is wasn't it, just uh, one movie. It's something the MPA had been brewing over for a while, and it's and uh, sort of... Yeah. Give them reason. The first film distributed with a PG-13 rating was Red Dawn. Dreamscape and Hell Woman in yes. Red. Hell uh, yes. But I guess it was because, uh, as a result of Temple of Doom and Gremlins, they wanted something more than PG. I'm, I'm going to give you a little factoid that's going to uh, uh, blow your goddamn mind. Uh, so who was the writer of Red Dawn? Jamie Gertz. Charlie Sheen. No, come on. Come on, Zoetrope, original crew. Mm, Coppola? 
No. Getting closer, though. Who is the writer of Conan? Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> John Milius. Milius, okay. Okay, John Milius, co-creator of the Ultimate Fighting Championship. Really? He was uh, taking lessons. Milius is responsible for UFC? He's responsible for the Octagon. Uh, he's responsible for the design of it because R. Davey and Horian Gracie were creating it. Horian Gracie was teaching jiu-jitsu about in, to all the Hollywood actors back in the late 80s. And John Milius was one of his students. Is and he still getting a cut? No. They were all sitting around. And, I mean, he wasn't, like, a co-creator, like, heavily involved. But what happened was R. Davey was, like, you know, uh, Horian was, like, basically, I want to pro- promote a fight that shows the brilliance of my art. And um, and that's a wonderful like, impression. They're like, the well, we gotta we gotta sex it up a bit. We gotta like give it a you know give it a look to it. And John Miller's is like, why not have him fight in a cage? And uh, and designed the octagon. He actually designed, I shit you not, a moat with alligators in it around it. Uh, they scratched that, but the, uh, the octagon design, <laughs> the octagon design stayed. And so, yeah, the look of the octagon, the brand of the octagon, directly responsible to John Milius. There you go. And that's your little bullshit factoid of the day. Now we're seeing her breaking. What is she in. trying to do? She's, what is, what she's is her break, spying right now? She's breaking into what ends up being her own house. She's trying to sh- show her butt. She's, thank you, Chad. Chad you know, from the kitchen. She's this, trying to show. This her is butt. where reality is starting to fold in on itself, and yeah. so she killed herself. The idea in real time is that after mi- mess, you know missing the audition, she went home and killed herself. But here we are, sort of in her disembodied psyche. Um, you know, it really is kind of a lot like entering the vo- enter the void for in a lot of ways, which I just just saw recently, um, the new Gaspar Noé movie. But uh, um, but yeah, it's it's. I mean, at this point, we're in, we're at this point, we're in court. You know, reality has been swept out from underneath us, and you don't know this until the very end. But and even, well, maybe maybe not. You know, so it's uh it's, it's just sort of interesting. I'm okay with letting this one go for a little bit. Well, yeah, but our listeners probably would uh, <laughs> would want to hear something because not uh, as we found, not a lot of our listeners listen. You know, watch the movie. They don't directly. actually. They just listen to us. Yeah, I mean, I'm one of those people. Okay. Yeah. Okay, now she's pulling out a gun, and this aliens are flying around. Now, what this means by what David Lynch is trying to say with the aliens? Right. Yeah. No, it's and it, you know, it's it's interesting. I'm wondering how much of this was in the pilot, or if this is sort of where he intended to go with the pilot. Chad can answer that question once he's out of the Because believe it or not, Lost didn't actually know where they were going when they started Shock, uh, Shock Believe Shock. it. Yeah. Uh, and it's weird, too, because I had some contacts with production. Um, well, I'll say this much. At the end of season five, they thought the show was going to end in a very different place than it did by the time of season six. And I well, mean considering they the broke way. every single promise about what they said that they would do. Right. I mean this all the way up to um, uh, up to the reveal of what the island is. Uh, but yeah. yeah. So now, and it's interesting because you can tell that's the same dress that Naomi Watts is wearing. So we have a dead body. Yay! A really well done dead body. Yeah. Really well done dead body. That's I good. know. I should know. I've seen a few. That's been there for quite some time, and you can't really tell what is the cause of death. Like you can't actually, no. that, which is kind of, kind of nice. I know in the Sylvia Plath sense of the word, we're all dying. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. That's all I have to contribute. So, what was I supposed to answer? Now that I'm back. Well, whether this was in the pilot. Ah, uh, yes, this was in the pilot. This, the dead body. So the dead see, body was in the pilot. They see the dead How body. How long was this fucking pilot? One hour. Uh, it was a little over an hour. I hate that. I hate that as an editor. I hate that. 
and now so is starting to so so the dead body that's the Naomi Watts character correct yes like that's yeah, that's, okay. Di- that's Diane Selwyn okay and so is is this you know I'm just trying so I'm just wondering like where if they and that's the same that color of the book is the same color as the key um, yeah what. Ah! The uh, I'm I'm just trying to figure out like if this is if the idea that this was actually her that was dead if that was where they, he wanted to go with all along or if that was like because you can't tell it's Naomi Watts you can't tell that it's Naomi Watts' dead body no so I'm just wondering you, it does get around to it I mean yeah, sort obviously. of yeah I mean it's you know uh, but I'm just wondering like where in the pilot they were planning to go with it and if, if, if <laughs> that's what I was on that's I mean because yeah he literally tacked on another hour onto the pilot and called it a movie. Yeah, I mean, as opposed to so now we're all in original material. What would the series would have like yeah. where? How would the series have continued? So of everything we've seen so far, right now, what was not in the pilot? Like up to this point, um, some of the, a lot of the uh, director stuff, just little things. Okay, um, uh, Billy Ray. Billy Ray was in it. Wow, uh, awesome. Weird. weird. To be honest, I can't think of much that wasn't up to this point. Uh, for the most part, it all was. I'm this gonna, obviously I'm gonna be, uh, this was totally on it. This was in the ABC right. family. Right, uh, right, right. So. Yeah, how, and I'm just as an actor, I'm just wondering how that goes. Like, okay, guys, well, the pilot didn't get okay, so bad news first. Pilot didn't get picked up. <laughs> Good news, Canal Plus is going to give us money for a feature. All right. So first scene, y'all are going to get naked and have sex. Now, bear with me for a second here. <laughs> when we get to the masturbation scene, I'll tell you what Naomi Watts was saying. On her uh, inside the actor studio. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. She talked about it a little bit. Hanson says, if the series had gotten picked up, we might never have gotten Hannah Montana. Wow. How? Wait, what? Because Billy Ray Cyrus. Yeah. If, was she, been, if, when if was that, she born? If that, if that plot continues. She was already born by No, then, no, no. But, but he would have been busy with that and not pimping his daughter out to the Disney Channel. Oh. That's good. Cool. Well, like I mean, so many Romans. Damn you, ABC. No, she, she, she auditioned for that role and, like, there was like three chicks that they considered for Hannah Montana. It was, and they almost went with another chick who's actually famous now too. But I forget, like one of the other chicks, I forget who. So, oh yeah, there's a naked lady. Oh hey, um, we don't really know each other that well. But I'm just gonna pop ladies. into bed with you uh, naked. naked this is this is what this girls do this right, Chloe? Like this is what yeah. <laughs> they just. <laughs> but they aren't getting, girls; they're figments of their own imagination. Getting bed naked yeah. together and. Uh, uh, what do you do? Yeah, I have mental sex with myself all the time. After you kill yourself. After, after I kill, yeah, after yeah, I'm dead. Okay. And that's, I guess, that's my question. Is like, is this relationship imagined, or is this like, is this? It's almost like a third-party perspective. Suddenly, if right. you realize that it's all coming after she's dead, right? And so, I'm, I guess, I'm, like, does she? I guess that's one. I don't. It's is, not that it's after she's. It's this is still. She's imagining herself being. She knows she's going to kill herself. She's she's thinking about the aftermath and playing around with that in her. This is during the masturbation. This is during the masturbation. Yeah. Almost all of it is during the masturbation. <laughs> wow, that's a crazy, complicated jerk-off fantasy. I, my, mine are usually extraordinarily simple. Um, single white room, you know. She uh, did say it was actually. She said this scene some, was actually easier to do than with a guy. I, I get that's it because holy felt ha- like they were on the level playing field, like they were both embarrassed about it. So right? Because holy hell, look at him though, like. And and here's the thing. This is why I was wondering for girls like guy parts don't look good. Like there's just nothing. I, I don't ladies. I don't get what you see in us. But because um, ladies, you know, it's I could understand how this would be easy for Naomi Watts. Because <laughs> damn it, hey, why, why Eddie, wouldn't it be? Eddie, what? I'm sorry. Yes. There you are. Yeah. Eddie was disappearing into his hoodie. 
A little bit, yeah. You could, you could tell they shot this a little bit later because Naomi Watts kind of has a tan. Yeah. yeah. Or she knew she was going to have and a sex I don't scene. And I don't think Naomi Watts has gotten naked a whole lot since this, if I... If I she and Jack uh, Black had a scene in King me? Kong. She's naked in practically <laughs> everything. She really? was really yeah. naked in uh, 21 Grams. I never saw 21 Grams, so maybe that's it. Yeah. Let's all go I do. Uh, I do like that. Like, have you done a sport? I uh, don't know. Maybe. Sure. Yeah. Why not? Maybe I was. I don't know, That's a it. great line. Maybe I have a penis somewhere. Who knows? <laughs> let's find out together. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm gonna repeat Hollywood blah tropes. Most glamorous lesbian scene. Chloe, ever. you want a mic? It's the lesbo scene. Just laughing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're. Chloe, I mean, what's the female yeah. perspective? Does this turn you on? No. <laughs> It took her a while, but she said no. I think it means yes. yes it's oh, boy. Yes. No means yes, she says. So, yes, women do get yes, turned on by this. I would have enjoyed Tank Girl much better if this was in this. That was fast. Yeah, no kidding, right? I'm in love with you. What? I remember that in the theater going like, really? That's all it takes? Jesus. Lesbians have it easy. Three days with Rod- someone who Roger Ebert said this is the first time anyone's had sex on, in, in a movie since the 70s. What? Wow. Wait, what does that mean? Roger Ebert, there's a whole genre of film that you may not be aware of <laughs> uh, in which people he, he just actually said this have was the, sex. He said this was, this was the first time he had seen a sex scene in a movie since the 70s where he felt like the characters We're in wanted to have sex. Oh, I see. As opposed All to right. just being thrown together for convenience. Had he seen Alien 3? <laughs> had he seen the I, movie? I saw Alien 1 and that facehugger face man it really wanted to fuck his mouth. That's a straight up Picasso right there. That Alien One. Well, yeah. If, that's... You look, if you look at the composition, that's that's literally a Picasso right there. Well, yeah, and that that's also getting back to the the two being the same person right. thing. And what's the significance of Silencio? Because I've never quite figured that Silencio out. Silencio is the name of the club that they end up at. No, hey, banda, and she's speaking Spanish here. Yeah, ostensibly. Oh, banda. Wait, I and, always. And uh... Any of our. Uh, no, I am Christian. Like, what is she saying right now? Like. No band. There's no music. Oh, just silence. There's no band. There's no music. She says. Right. That's says. the whole act at the club is like this whole. So that represents just death. Like that just represents like she's she's dead. Well, the, well it's the... not just that. It's also the the idea of the show being fake. Yeah. All of this is fake. All of this right. didn't actually happen, and you are lying to yourself about how you ended up in the shitty situation you're in. Which is basically just talking about yeah the whole movie up to this point. Right. Yes, exactly. It's just a it's a construct. It's just the just the idea. club 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 silencio. That's the whole act that they put on is you know that girl gets up there and sings for four minutes and then she passes out in the middle of the song but the song keeps going right and, it's, just, it's, a, it's it's i want to start a thing where we start na- we, we don't refer to movies by their titles but what by their what the titles clearly should be like alien should be called vagina's attack right <laughs> and the fly should be everyone has aids and so on and so forth and i'm trying to figure out what the mulholland drive title is I think it's a question mark and a hash symbol. <laughs> Dawn of the Dead is buy more stuff. <laughs> Here's another one of those really shaky cams where I think yeah. they just stuck them in a Ralph's cart and pushed them down the... Um, kind of looks that do way. You know, it's, like, it's like they do got you know the midget they... from the earlier scene and had him camera up and said, why not? Fuck it. Yeah, the camera the, fell over. You know why the, th- the theory why they do that? Because when you masturbate, your eyes dilate. Really? Is that like this whole thing is while yeah, she's jerking what, off? Yeah. What... Huh. You'll see it when she is actually masturbating. You'll see. No, I remember. Yeah, she looks up and, and goes, it's doing that shaky. Yeah, thing. it's it's doing that stuff, which is fine. But like of all the things that masturbate, it's all about, optical, isn't it? She's like, like they did that she's on like, optical print. Yeah, no, well, it's, it's um, I don't know. It's, it's, I think it's, it's, it's a focus to, It looks it's like not to get off. It looks like they literally take the film away from the film. Yeah, it's not like to. It looked it looked in camera to me. It didn't look like um like a print 
effect. You got to understand though, she's not doing it because she's trying to arouse. She's trying to forget, and she's no, I know, to, yeah. and that and that is very convincing. Like, uh, believe me, I I I totally get the whole masturbate while crying thing. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, I do it three I, times I, a day. I I'm doing it right now, uh, but it's um. It's uh no it's the idea that it's the idea that uh that actually no legitimately was very powerful is the idea that she's she's using that to forget and cope with the pain fully get that part I just didn't the realize blue. that all of this was happening during yeah. that thing um which you know what have you so I'm looking for a cowboy uh, no, 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 not here. Not here. Not here. He's, he's it's, a, it's in the end when she is uh, sitting, looking at, uh, She's at the, the director and the star, looking really happy. Right, right, right. This is all during the. Uh, this, I mean, there's a lot I of pageantry love. involved with this, and like you, you see sort of that in that presentation. Which is why, I mean, if you have any sort of abstract notions of what David Lynch is, go rent the straight story. It's based on a true story of a farmer who had no car, who had to travel cross country to see his dying brother, who he hadn't spoken to in like 30 years. And he drove a power lawnmower across country to get like a, there. Like a state. Yeah, or like a state or something like that. One or, state to another. Or, but like still, on a yeah. power lawnmower, it's, it's significant. And it's uh, him and his daughter, played by Sissy Spacek. Richard Farnsworth played the lead and nominated for Academy Award for it. Uh, really good, simple movie. And uh, he made that, I think, two years before this. And... Um, yeah, so it's not like it's not like David Lynch is just a fucking weirdo who doesn't know how to speak human. After this, was it? I, I thought it was ninety nine. Was the, straight story. Does anyone find it funny that he switches from like I believe Spanish to French? French, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, subtitle. Thank you, subtitle. Yeah. You're welcome. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> if it had actually said "You're welcome" up there, no shit, that would have right? been awesome. So uh, here's apparently my uncle playing um, <laughs> playing trumpet. Uh, your but yeah, that's, Steve Martin. But yeah, that's the idea. The other guy's dad. I, I get Barnett's what you're world. saying about the. I get what you're saying about the idea that that they're. It's all recorded. Okay, he's straight up telling me now. Subtext is text. Um, so. By the way, before I forget, hey Zarban, can I be on the quotes page? That'd be cool. Thanks. Hook a brother up, Zarban. You got to say something funny, dude. I I just did. What'd you say? Here we go. I'll imitate Chris Hanel. Titties. Now quote that, and then there you go. Titties. Alright, Jean Pochet. This was the point in the movie where I was like, okay, something special Perry. is really going on. Yeah, I'm yeah. like I'm like, this is either gonna be amazing or it's just gonna sort of leave me going, nah. I love that they're frightened. Like for the very beginning, like, there's I nothing would be too. There's nothing it, really that scary. It's like weird, but they're both like clutched to each other like this is the scariest thing. I think thing that's ever. Justin Thoreau in the blue. I've always thought it is. Really? I've thought it was the director. And she starts spasming here, which during the thunderclap. So I don't like she, as if this guy was orgasming. a devil or something. <laughs> well, no, I mean, is, is there is there a one to one correlator as to why she's spasming? I, I actually don't know. Orgasm? Mm, maybe. I, I started to think that, but it doesn't. It's not the right moment, dude. When is it? Hell, I don't know. In this world, he looks like the what's his name? The dude who like the Church of Satan guy, um, Lafay or something like that. I forget his name. In the chat room, they're like. This film seems to be dragging. <laughs> well, it's more, I've, for my part, it's more like I'm trying to, like, study and pick up details because it has been something like nine years since I've seen this movie. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out where, you know, like, pick up on little things that maybe I didn't notice before. Because the Chicken Blue says some shit here in a second. It's and you say it's sports, Justin yeah. Thoreau, but. I, it's a, a man. It's, it's a dude, straight up. Could be uh, Prince Poppycock. Could be James Franco. It's um, a <laughs> It's rather interesting. He seems to do that a lot. Suddenly, the hotel guy. Yeah, the hotel guy comes out. Yeah, that is the hotel guy. Okay. 
Senores, didn't he just say ladies and ladies? Or I don't oh, always drink okay. beer, <laughs> but when I do, I do it to a David. He once punched your mother I in the leg. This club actually existed in L.A. Rebecca Del Rio. It would have made some money, that's for sure. In L.A., yes. Re- Rebecca Del Rio is a real person, correct? <laughs> well, this well, is, hello, is Rebecca this actress. Del Rio. Uh, maybe if it is a real person, that's. I thought it was a singer. That it they, is a singer. Yeah, and I've seen her in other stuff since then. Since this, and she looks really bad now. That's right. She's singing crying in Spanish, yeah. Which makes sense emotionally to what Naomi Watts' character is going through. So I'm just wondering where the crazy hobo in the beginning fits into all this shit. My, my idea behind all of it was that it was an emotional beat for the idea of this guy. It's not so much mm-hmm. about the hobo, but it's about the guy who's afraid right. of, I'm having these dreams, and they're really, really scary, and then confronted with the reality. Ah! And, and then, then he dies, yeah. And, and then he dies. So that is a mirror of, of what, what's happening here. what happened here. It's, you know, not to bring up Gaspar Noé again, but um, Irreversible uh, starts off with two characters talking that are not in the rest of the film. They're actually two characters that were in Gaspar Noé's previous film. They're like the two main characters, and they sort of briefly cover the events of the previous film, and then they they sort of talk and they kind of give a thematic idea of what the rest of Irreversible is about. Um, and by the way, <laughs> Irreversible, um, yeah, <laughs> not a date movie. No. <laughs> Unless you want to learn how to bash someone's head in with a with a fire extinguisher. Okay, yeah. Irreversible or Schindler's List, which one do you take a date to? Schindler's List, because at least like there's a, at least you see a bunch of people alive at the end of it. Although <laughs> technically, Irreversible has a happy ending. It's just chronologically not ending. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. it's before yeah. the it rape starts. and murder and all this other stuff. Ugh, <laughs> God. What? It's Speaking of Irreversible, yeah, this this is. I remember there was a while where I had I had this track, and I had it. It's coming my from rotation. the guy that well, you had you made a mix CD for a girl. And it had Brooks was here on it. What's wrong with you? And then the Chasing Amy monologue. What an asshole. Really? Yes. Yeah, I'm a dick. What the fuck? The thing where Ben Affleck's trying to get uh, Joy Lauren Adams to be uh, straight again. Be straight again, yeah. That's, you know. Slap that right on a mixtape <laughs> for a date. What up? Don't be gay. Let's just, how about that? Just 20, And then Brooks 20... was here. It's like, that would make me, that would make me, that'd be like the most devastating thing I'd ever, it'd be like a podcast about Feline How leukemia. long was this relationship? That's Chris Hannell. Hey, Rebecca Del Rio singing. <laughs> oh, man. Hi, Corey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sing that shit. <laughs> I got to say, she, it's, it's, a, yeah. it's a good performance, and she's... She's got an, an interesting. She has look to, to her. actually be singing. Yeah, that, that was what I always. I always wondered about that whether she was lip syncing in those shots or whether she was really singing. I think she was actually singing. I think she's actually singing, and then there. And now, yeah. of course, is she, is just yeah. Clearly, they, she's still singing in yeah. that shot where she falls. And then, oh, mm-hmm. our life is a lie. We are one person. Are they? Yeah, I guess they are. If this was a piece of performance art, it would fuck me up for the rest of my life. Mulholland Drive? No, no, where she comes That's out and she's right. singing and then Falls she dies and they there. carry her off and the song's still, the going? still going? That is terrifying. <laughs> There's a, speaking of terrifying uh, performance That's like if art. Millie Vanilli was interesting. Jake Shears, the lead singer of the Scissor Sisters, um, he used to do this one-man show uh, off, 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 off the fuck, off Broadway, where it was an interpretive dance where he was playing an aborted fetus. And he was like <laughs> in a plastic bag and he was like dancing his way out of the bag and then he like just sprang forth naked big and smiling and that was like supposed to be representative of an abortion um 
So that's apparently like what you do wonderful... when you're a scissor sister. So okay. there's the box. There's the box and the key. So what? It, what? Okay. So speak the, on it. So the blue key. Yeah. The the um, basically what happened is that this girl in real life got her shit like completely ruined by this director or whatnot. Either not getting the part, losing a girl. Like you see, you see the director and this girl that looks like her. Uh, announcing uh, that they're together. I can't. Yeah. I can't remember the But basically, she's she's humiliated. Right. She's humiliated and ruined, and her life is over, and it sucks. Sure. And so she puts out a hit on the woman, on the woman right, in the role, right? right, right. And the key, and it was the guy that uh, murders that for the book. Yeah. She hires that guy to kill these to kill somebody. Okay. And the the key was supposed to be when it's done, I will leave a key on your table, and, and you'll done. know it's done. I see. And she yeah. comes home and sees the blue key, which is a normal blue and key. And knows it's done. And knows it's done, and has Kills huge remorse, herself. and that on top of her life already being ruined, right. uh, f- uh, has her fever dream of whatnot, and then kills herself. I see. And now Naomi's disappeared. Yeah. And now it's just her. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, like, I enjoyed the movie without fully intellectually grasping the, the details of it. I, I enjoyed it for the weird sort of tone poem Absol- that it was. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, you know, it's just, it's, for me, it's like, I don't necessarily have to, I don't know, I mean, call me old-fashioned. I don't necessarily have to understand the plot, per se, as long as I'm interested by what I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's, I, I understand that's not a position held by many, and, and I get why. Um, I understand, like, but for me, it all depends on what the movie is trying to be. If the movie is trying to be linear and intellectual and tell a clear story and fails to do so, I get very pissed off. But in a movie like this where it's obviously very abstract, very impressionistic, um, not all the things have to land properly. So, and this is the, the blue key. And she opens the box, if I remember correctly. Yeah. yeah. And what's in the box? Like a fucking... What's in the box? Like a rabbit or like a... Sorry, I had to do she's that. A, okay. She's opening Pandora's box, literally. <laughs> Right. There's at some point where the two realities sort of converge here. I, Notting Hill has ruined that term for me. What's that? M- uh, Pandora's box. Pandora's box. All I can hear is Reese fans saying, met a girl named Pandora. Never got to see her box, though. Yeah. Re- uh, Reese fans narrates uh, Exit to the Gift Shop. which He I does? Was, yeah, which I was not That's ready awesome. for. Yeah, that totally surprised me. Well, he did, he did Notting Hill and then immediately did Little Nicky. <laughs> oh, God. Yep. Because there's nothing in there. It's just oh, ah! the box, and now we're in. Now she's gone, right? She's in the box. Yes. Let's see what's in the box. Nothing. Now, does Naomi Watts come? I'm trying to remember. Like I said, it's been so long since I've seen this. <laughs> no, what? the uh, aunt s- steps in. The what? The aunt steps in. Right. Who owns the house? Right. As if there's. Want so is she is she gonna see the dead body at this point, or is the dead body? Something? No, that's not the same it's house. Not the same house. Not the same house. I see. Want to die? Stop <laughs> it. Okay. Want die? So yeah, that's her aunt. Okay. And she sees the box, and then she gets into the box. No, no, that doesn't. She just turns around. That's she doesn't see anything. Movie. The box. Okay. No, we've established the, 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 the two girls that we've seen the whole movie. They're into the box. <laughs> She's not into the box. <laughs> the box doesn't actually exist at any point. Yeah, it's an abstraction. Okay, it's um. The other two girls are very non-abstractly into the box. Now we're get, now it cuts to the <laughs> like Louis C.K. with lizards. Okay, so now yeah, we... okay, so now the realities are bending it... here. This is back to her apartment where the body is. Are we gonna see the body? Yeah, that's but it, she's not dead. She's not, not dead. dead. And this is Naomi Watts. This, yeah, yep. Naomi okay. Watts will sit up. 
Uh, see him one time. Ah, fuck. If you do what I said, right. There's the dead body. Yep. Oh, oh, you died. Sorry. That makes way more sense now. Yeah. That makes way more sense now. We don't know what killed her specifically. People in the chat are... No, she shoots herself in the last shot of the movie. There's a guy in the chat asking for a murder-suicide pack with Fig. (laughs) (laughs) Who are you going to try to kill? And there's okay, so yeah, reality. Now we're in reality, as yeah. it were. Okay, that's like the least actually, flattering angle you could pick for a woman, right? Well, Just that's thighs. what he's trying to do. I was gonna say the opposite, but that's fine. All right. <laughs> so now, now we've lost all glamorousness. Right. She gets up. She's oh, she's feeling. You know, you go through the morning disgustingness, which hasn't been the first of this movie. No makeup on. Uh, and she's not. Is, and she's not acting like the soap opera version no. of herself. This is real she life. She actually now. looks like the Diane Selwyn. Version yes, of which is who she is. Right. She looks like the uh, the person, the uh, the waitress. Mm-hmm. Now, how does the accident in the very beginning uh, factor into all this? The accident with the other. The accident. It's li- the place of the accident where it happens. She's about ready to go to the party where she starts seeing everything bad happening around right. her. Where. Um, Camilla is proposed to by, not proposed to, but the director says, hey, will you marry me? And so it's kind of the accident of her lesbian lover is now marrying this director, basically sleeping with him for this part. I see. And it's humiliating to her, and she wants to. Where have you been? What do you want? They like each other. How fucked up would it be to one day rent an apartment in Hollywood and you realize you live in this house? That'd be awesome. <laughs> Too bad this is probably any on. house. You just realize yeah. it's in a movie. Um, so these two are are broken up. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. Picking up all her shit. So that's her actual ex girlfriend that we saw earlier in the film. Yeah. 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 Okay. God, this movie makes way more sense now. Thanks, guys. You'll recognize yeah. the ashtray here. I believe. The ashtray. Did the key I... is sitting there. Oh, not that ashtray. There's the key. There, there's okay. the blue key. Eddie? Yes, sir. Explain this movie to me now with what you know. Well, well. What I think... happens in this film? Well, I, th- I think it's the story of one woman's sort of fractured psyche uh, of dealing with the, the realities and the dark underbelly of the actual Hollywood dream. Or the so Hollywood she invents dot, 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 question mark? Yeah. She, I mean, it, it, she, like I said, her psyche fractures in the final days of her life. You know, uh, it's kind of, oddly enough, this is now starting to remind me of um, not Dark Days, but Last Days by uh, Gus Van Sant. It's basically loosely based on Kirk Cobain's Last Three Days. Another tough movie to get through. If very, very tough. If you really want to watch uh, Michael, uh, what's his name? Um, Michael, the, the, uh, Michael Pitt, watch a Boys and Men video in real time, uh, then by all means, watch that movie. Um, but because that literally happens. You see him high on heroin. Watching a Boys and Men video in real time. So we're about to see Naomi Watts. Hannah looks like he wants to kill Naomi something. Naomi Watts is about to look no, the I, least attractive and the most attractive she yeah. is in two oh, shots. Yeah. Shot reverse. This shot. this is a this is an amazing shot and an amazing performance. Like, and, and the no reverse right shot here. is astounding. Just yeah. to see, show what makeup can do. Yeah. And what is she looking at right now? She's about ready to throw she's up. Just looking in that sink. In sink yeah, yeah, she's because her 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 ex just came and. Got the last of her shit, and that's that's always a fun moment. If you've never, God, she looks so good right there. Woo, yeah. So that's her fantasy. That's like her. <laughs> yeah, I mean she she looks horrible, and then but then it cuts to her. 
So now we she's see gonna be looking at God, she looks horrible now she's, there. Now she see the name is now we see that her she's actual name bad. is Camilla. Camilla, yeah. Yeah. So Camilla is the girl that got the role instead of her, and it was someone she trusted and has been right. betrayed by. God, that's brilliant. That's that's what I'm talking about as far as like David Lynch being it's not necessarily enjoyable, but you admire the precision of it and you admire the choice of it, you know. There's an emotional truth here, despite all the all the abstract bullshit if you've ever like had a relationship that's turned sour and felt like your life was crap then this scene plays extraordinarily well to that and taps into those feelings you don't necessarily need a one-to-one analog of of day-to-day life you can express that feeling in this way and have it resonate in a way that's a bit deeper than if you know adam sandler slowly watches drew barrymore walk away (laughs) while a pop song plays But I like those things. <laughs> I know, exactly. Well, it's the Eddie Izzard popcorn thing. You know, well, it's like, it's they, candy for everyone is. else, there's this scene for you. Everyone in the no, chat room was... is doing that first version of popcorn where they're just like, <sighs> and they put the popcorn, yeah, popcorn next <laughs> to them. <laughs> they look at the one kernel, throw it back okay. in the pile. Then David Lynch Here we go, guys. Here we go. that he has to put in this kind of stuff. Hi, kids. <laughs> so now this is thinking. Now, now it's straight up jerk-off fantasy, which, hey, fine by me. Now, now we can see the ashtray is there. This is actual past. This is thinking about Something Chris. There's tits. Chloe, <laughs> does this turn you on? Sure. This thing she said actually. Yes, folks. This thing actually happened. Yeah, the make it. <laughs> the make it was that was well, well done, sir. Uh, that was uh, the makeup's like perfect, and everybody's all perfect and right. shit. So this is this is actual. This is not fantasy. This, this is, is a memory. This is a memory. This is a memory. Sure. It may. It's now. And, and that this is also the reality where she says that she got the part or something like that. There's some like some bad piece of reality interjects itself here, if I remember. Correctly. Yeah. God, Naomi Watts just fucking goes for it. Like, just I mean, even if this scene you could tell makes her uncomfortable, you would not be able to tell. She just she pulls the trigger on it. Didn't Naomi Watts have a problem with the sex scenes in this movie? Uh, despite the fact that yeah, she feels horribly, horribly embarrassed by them. She said that I've heard that she was... she said she didn't know she was going to be naked. What? I, I haven't actually what? heard. Well, yeah, she signed up for a pilot, and she got a a lesbian sex scene out of it, basically. Lesbian rape scene? Kind of. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure the uh, masturbation scene was not in the ABC yeah, script. Yeah, for sure. Right. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, so now we... Ah. Yep. Cut to a shoot. Uh, yeah. Cut to a Soviet North, Soviet North story. The movie. There's, there's the Naomi. Yep. And this was the movie she auditioned for earlier in the movie. Right. Yeah. And the director was different. Watch me. I'll, I'll give you a kiss reading. I do this actually all the time. Right. Yeah. No, you want a boner like this? <laughs> Come on, put some, put some hip into it. I get why Naomi Watts like gets cast in like period pieces because she she she's got the old movie star quality look to her. Oh, you know for sure. I mean? She's got that, you know. Yeah, um, um, you asked me like old timey actresses who would do it for um, Grace Kelly. Total. Oh, I mean, God. definitive. Yeah. You know. Well, she can be purple. She can be anything you like. <laughs> so. I like to be like Grace Kelly. She died way too young. God, this movie makes so much more sense now. Thanks, guys. What? Have you only seen it once? I've only seen it once in theaters. But, I mean, it left an wow. impression on me. It left a, I it had left to a see it twice just to... Well, which is... Now that I've seen it twice, I get it more. Does, so. does Diane... Does Diane have a bit role in this movie? She seems like a, a, a background, yeah. Yeah. She seems like a background player. 
Justin Thoreau plays Scummy well. Yeah. <laughs> I really do. If you were the actor before. in this, wouldn't you feel really weird? Wouldn't you just be like, yeah, I'd be like, yeah, Yuki. This is how Trey directed Moby Dick. <laughs> <laughs> really? Okay, what, now. What version have you seen? I haven't seen this part. <laughs> when you go to kiss Barry Bostwick. Now, look here, let me show you. Moby. Um, <laughs> that was Trey's mistake. He cast Moby as Moby Dick the first time. And oh. they said it's not that movie, Trey. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so when they're like, the sonar guy is hearing a backbeat and he goes, the white whale! Yeah, exactly. When he hears a, when he hears a 2-4 beat with the same bullshit synth that he's been using for the last 13 years anyway and uh, fade but i'm not bitter fade and where are we now kids we're staring at the ceiling oh wait no no we're not, not yet. now they're gonna have their argument it's not easy for me no a fucking way yeah See, compare now, this to her original character at exactly. the beginning of the movie it's just like what oh i want to die <laughs> <laughs> This is, it's very difficult to watch a movie if you've never been invested in the characters at all. Uh, which is kind of how I felt about uh, Twilight. <laughs> like it's yeah, just, yeah. Uh, Twilight is way more painful to watch than this, for, in my opinion. Like, All right, now this is the scene she oh, yeah. hates. So, no, this scene, she was talking about it, and she was like, you know, just imagine James Lipton <laughs> talking you about were the masturbating, scene. He was like a ceiling. serious face. He's like, this, this masturbation scene was cinematic genius and like the people the audience just like busted out laughing and he's like no no seriously it was it was amazing your performance was amazing <laughs> to be completely fair it is because it's not quite clear she's masturbating just yet until the slow pan down and it's and uh, the, the the touches of it like the sweat like she's been at it for a while and she can't like i mean it's it's so tr it's tragic and sad but it's there's like a truth to it anyway, what is she, she said that uh she said that uh, he wanted her not to cry during the scene, and she she just couldn't stop crying because she was so like embarrassed by it with all the crew just standing around watching. Sure. And she was like, she was crying out to to David Lynch. She's like, I can't do this. We got it. We got to stop. We got to do it. We got to. Yeah. So we recognize the ashtray from the very beginning with a series of phone calls. Right. Mm -hmm. And this is her house. This is where she's at. Yeah. Um. Anyway, she she kept crying out like, oh, "We got to stop this! We got to stop this!" And and I guess all he would say was, "That's okay, Naomi. Just keep going. That's okay. That's okay, Naomi." And he wouldn't call a cut. He would just make her keep doing it. Wow, it's kind of torturous. So that that look she has at the end, where it's just sort of like determined and hateful, like that's <laughs> it's probably, that's, yeah, probably what sure, she's yeah. thinking about David Lynch at that. So moment. I mean, what are, what are her recollections of working on this movie? Being with? is she happy she did it? Does she hate it? Like I've she, never seen know? her give a, a true, honest to goodness response. Right. Um, I'm sure it's like nothing but like mixed emotions. Sure. I mean, this movie obviously made her. it made her it a star. Made her, yeah. And that's to be honest. The lighting in this shot is probably yeah, my you, favorite. You, I mean, it's, it's very rich. You get a lot of reds and a lot of yellows and at the same time. And you got the green, though. Yeah, which is there. Yeah, like the green comes up, and you can, I mean, really kind of puts a nice shape on the face. And, you know. She, did, she almost well. doesn't look like herself in that shot. She looks, yeah, she looks like, she's made up, but she looks weathered right there, which is, it's, it's. If you were to give me the still of that, I would, and I hadn't, if I hadn't seen the movie, I would not know that that's Naomi Watts. Right. And now she's going on the same drive that the character went on at the beginning of the movie. Right. Right. And they stop at the spot of the crash, um, and that's where she's getting out of the car to go to the party. Right. Because that it was like a car crash. It was. In her heart. Yeah. 
It was it was it was trauma it was traumatic by yeah, definition. Traumatic. Sure. No, I get it. I totally get it. I'd I'd probably rather have a bad breakup than a car accident that, you know, gives me amnesia, but Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm I think you could clarify that. I wanna uh, just I wanna be public about that, folks. I'm kind of glad I can't see the chat room from here. I know, right? Yeah. They're probably just, I hate this worse than New Moon! You know what I love about my relationship with the chat room? We don't have to talk. We can just look at each other and know. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's the most fulfilling relationship we have. There are people demanding to know how much longer they have to sit through this. <laughs> no, you know, when we did, when we did Twilight New Moon, uh, we did Twilight, and then afterwards the chat room was literally you like, You don't have to do you, this! You guys are off the hook. You don't have to do this anymore. <laughs> Like no, goddamn it! We're gonna do. We're gonna do. We're gonna do Mulholland Drive. We're gonna That's do Mulholland right. Drive Two. Lalide gets it. Do... No words, just emotions. <laughs> Mulholland Drive. Are they Harder. actually? How many of you guys are actually watching? I'm on two, two or three. I'm, I'm actually. I'm. I'm. Oh, watching along right now. Yeah. And I, did you have to rent three. it or buy it? No, I'm sure a lot of people have it. I think it's on Netflix actually right now. I'm oh, not it's not. Sure. I checked. Not? Okay. UHF is on Netflix. Which, if you don't know the order in which we record podcasts, that won't make no sense. <laughs> so she's a total. She's a total. Whore because hey, come to my party. It really mean a lot to me. I'm getting proposed to. Wow, she's evil. A little bit evil. Yeah, enough to maybe put a hit out on. With a blue key. But didn't we see the blue key? Okay, so the blue key. There's two different. Yeah. Okay, but no. I mean, they still have the scene coming up with the. She hasn't talked to the assassin guy yet. No. Right. And it comes up next, I think. Oh my god, it's so bright. <laughs> so, well, this is David Lynch, and it has stopped snowing in LA. <laughs> <laughs> it really has. We got some nice Carmel Mountains out there. Call right? a family member. <laughs> <laughs> Tell them. Yeah, I think he still does it because anyone three is on the web on the web now. Build a they're, grass they're snowman. web radio only. <laughs> <laughs> I think you should have done a lot more of this commentary in David Lynch's voice. <laughs> So this the, is where they go up to the party. <laughs> I'd love to hear a real-time analog conversation between David Lynch and George Lucas because they both have this sort of nasally, yeah. wimpy voice about them. It'd be and, like listening to Joshua from War Games talk to Kermit the Frog. Hi, <laughs> I'm Kermit the Frog. So, Would you like to play a Muppet movie? That's how far <laughs> this commentary has gone. We're now like fucking... <laughs> I mean, and, and this isn't to say I'm not enjoying the movie. This, I, I feel like this is the only real scene in now. the movie, to be honest. Really? In really? my mind. When they go no, I think, I, think, I think what Chris is saying about the Because we're the seeing all the characters, and we're seeing them out of their the place of, that we know them. Well, we are back at his house. Because <clears throat> we're about to see his mother, which is actually her landlord, or her aunt's landlord. Are you sure this isn't a TV series? <laughs> <clears throat> And there's Coco. Yep. So what's Coco's analog in reality here? Because she's director's, not director's mother. Yeah. Oh, that's her, his mom. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And she's just like, yeah, whatever, an actress. So she like we're talking about the one to one. Right. So this is where we'll see everybody else. This is where we'll see. Okay. You'll see the cowboy in the background and tell me Billy Ray's in there somewhere. I I don't know. I don't think he is. Okay. It's her fault that the party's dragging. right. So why in her in her like fantasy or whatever would she make Justin Thoreau's character like out to be a nicer guy or to like justify his actions? Because it because then she's not as much of a victim. Then it, it wasn't personal, right? Okay. In this version, it's personal. He yeah. directly betrayed. He she. 
if it's if it's someone up working up on high, they have no right. idea about her. So right. it's not her. She doesn't have to feel at fault at all. Here, right. she can feel completely ripped off. I see. So this is her real backstory now. Yes, this is this is the real one. So the jitterbug contest is still there. And, and like, yeah, she's actually God. telling her real backstory. Oh. Those hands. That nose. I love that this guy on the left was actually in a few scenes in the pilot. That, was, I think, I think that guy David was in Lynch, the robbery scene. Is that Eric uh, Scott Coffey? The guy on the left was in the robbery scene. Hmm. What? No. No. You're thinking of uh, no. Jacob. I tried to have one. Yep, you did. I think this guy's cast because he looks just like David Lynch. <laughs> it's kind of got the same look. No, I think he's a mix of John Bon Jovi and Thomas Hayden Church. Whoa! <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> Way to put that together. Are you trying to say Way that to David that Lynch together. looks like those guys? That and hair. I'm look now. I'm now. I'm looking around the party for the Indian Joe Pesci. <laughs> I get it. Um, if that is Scott Coffee, and I don't know if it is. It is. Says the chat room. It is. Uh, well, he directed Naomi Watts Bob in Parker, a feature okay. film. And I can't remember that. Hmm. There was a lot of sex in that, too. With Jacob in a bathtub. Huh. <laughs> wow, Jacob's getting around. Yeah. He teaches uh, school at Bryant School. Really? Teaches acting. Interesting. Uh, at Playhouse interesting. West. Interesting. Jacob of lost fame. Mm-hmm. So Mulholland Drive is interesting. Um, I don't like it that <laughs> you much. Can't, you can't start the wrap-up yet. The movie's not over, Gene. Yeah, nice, nice, nice try. Nice try, dude. Nice try. Well, oh, go man. back to bed. Grab a pillow, Is this going to be a lost episode? Is that what we're building towards? I don't want it to The be. first hour was outstanding, too. All right, well. I think it still is. I, you I can mean, go fuck yourself. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of worthless Napkin! Right now. Napkin! I'm kind of worthless right now because I'm a... I'm a so that's the pool man story. Okay. Yeah, that's the pool man story. Mm-hmm. Oh. There's hey, the that now she was just drinking an espresso and she sees the guy right. the composer. God he's, damn. He's the composer's there. They wanted to make sure he was there. Yep. It's like it like it rhymes. <laughs> and then the other actress. Yep. There's Cam- there's Camilla Melissa. Rhodes. Come in to steal her lesbian lover away and get a big red smooch. She fucks everything. Yep, she does. I like her. <laughs> <laughs> so she's screwing Melissa George and Justin Theroux. Yeah, and Justin Theroux is just sort of fine. Well, yeah, I get it. And she's okay. rubbing it in Naomi's face. Yeah, right. and then They're the Cowboys all... about ready to now... Cowboy, cowboy. Oh. And it's we. It's very. It's made very pointedly that Naomi Watts sees the cowboy. Right. Does she recognize what the cowboy does at this? Point? No, she doesn't. This she makes it up. Okay. She totally fantasizes the explanation for why he is there. Right. So she's like. Well, he didn't screw me over. That cowboy forced him to make her. Right. But why would that cowboy actually be there in reality? This is Dressed actor. like a cowboy. Yeah. <laughs> Coco does not like this. No, Coco does not seem pleased with anything in this. Are going to Rio. Are... Or we're Batman and Robin. <laughs> I never saw them in the same room with Batman and Robin. Yeah. So Teague. What? <laughs> what scenes in this movie do you think are? There we are. There. Now we've cut ahead. The most interesting. The, this, this, the scene on the stage with crying. Okay. 
To me, this back half, this back half is like really, really interesting. Like how it's sort of you. You can um, only be interested in a movie if you're interested in it. Otherwise, all you can do is think some scenes are interesting. And you're not obligated to like this movie. I yeah, I mean, I just you know. I'm not interested in the in the usual suspects unraveling that's occurring right now because I haven't given a shit the whole time. Right. So, and that sounds pejorative, but it it's just. <laughs> I think I I thought the scene on the stage was very interesting. So you know, do you see the book too? It's also yeah. She even romanticizes the reasoning for having the book. Right. Everything makes sense. She um you can tell Jacob looks a bit different from his original scene. Like it was uh and the box of money, okay. Uh it's um it's a you know he cuz you can tell they, there's a bit of a gap in shooting between the two cuz he looks a, a bit different than how he did. Yeah. In the original scene. Yep. He's going to give her the key. What does it mean to be human? To <laughs> see your enemies driven beneath you? You see, I'm a robot. That's one thing I should have said. Beep, boop, bleep. We need to be talking about the movie. No, I get that. I, fl- <laughs> I'm, 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 I, I think I'm off the hook. These two, we, you're the one two. laying back on the couch. <laughs> I, I, I feel like I've expressed myself. <laughs> and that guy. Now we see that guy. <clears throat> okay, yeah. Connect the dots. That's a David Lynch movie. It's connected us. You don't really get the image until you're done. I mean, this scene is obviously a little real. She's like, "Yeah, what's so what's the key mean?" Well, it's not. It's just a. It's just a sign. Anything. It's not anything. It's something to show. But isn't there a bag where like the the old people walk out of? Yes, or some shit like you're, that? you're about to see right it coming here. up. That's clearly not reality. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Eddie. People aren't humans. Aren't that small. <laughs> And we got about two minutes left in the movie. Right. Oh, good. But as a rule, there. Okay, the homeless guy. His I get it. Butts on fire. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, is who is this guy? I would think this is the one. This is Swamp Thing. Um, Swamp Thing, DC Comics character, was a guy who got trapped in an accident uh, in the swamp. <laughs> okay, and part Chris. Of the swamp. I this is the one thing that I've tried to understand more than anything else in terms of its connection to the rest of the movie, mm-hmm. and I've I've really struggled with it. I really couldn't give you. A so what else? What else is in there? Like what? What is that? Is that a lock? Is they, that a ring? What am I looking at? That's right? a that's a pop tab. Pop tab. Okay, that's <laughs> none of those things I just mentioned. And here they come. Why the fuck not? <laughs> <laughs> and we see this maybe, really well done. By the way, maybe the seed of the thing that could allow her to kill her existed because of. Parents who did bad thing and the bad thing festered, made it. This is where the movie. Like, I, every yeah. time I see this, no matter how many times I see it, my the hair on my neck just stands up, just like the shrieking. It's yeah, it's a bit. Um, I mean, it's it's, yeah. and so much of the movie depends on this because if you fuck this up, then like you, you kind of yep. destroy any chance. I like she's sitting away together. from it. She doesn't want to be near it, but right. she can't. She has to stare at it. It's like there are some similarities, I guess, to Black Swan. This movie a little bit in terms of just I haven't the spiral. I haven't seen it yet. So. Okay, so the spiral we'll, out of we'll like this. yeah. Well, I mean, as far as fracturing yourself and having to like, I f- yeah, know. I figured out that much from the trailer. Yeah, you pretty much know the ending. And they're of crawling. Black Swan yeah. at the beginning of it. So this is the beginning of the. So the homeless guy represents like the releasing of the trauma at this point, like. Because it came out of his bag, these little things, and now they're coming into her house, and it's overwhelming her. That's really a reach. I don't know. I'm, 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 
I'm thinking out loud. I'm trying to understand this in real time. And it's not. Um... Shriek. Yeah, shriek. that's. Ah. It just represents the horror of what's happened. Now, well, I've been changed by creepy old people. I'm going to fucking flip my shit. Yeah, I did get chills just there. Fuck this. Then I'm going to go into the room and blow The moral mind. of this movie, Fig, is that old people are scary. Yeah. I think that's that much is what it's about, yeah. We've just been lying to you for the past two and a half and... hours, everyone. Boom. Boom. Guns don't make that much smoke. I'm calling bullshit. <laughs> Especially from behind the bed. Right. Smoke hmm. out of the ass. Okay, so that's why we couldn't tell because the, the gunshot wound was to the top there. Okay. Yeah. I watch a lot of First 48, so I'm trying to... Although the gun wasn't in her mouth when they find her later. Right. And there's... um, I want to know who the actor is underneath that and if it's somebody we saw earlier. It kind of looks like the actor that... It's Lionel out. Richie! It looks like the actor who passes out mm, when he okay. sees it the first time. Right. At least the eyes do. Right. Another lost actor, by the way. Who? Yeah, yeah, he was not, he was not, he, was he like played another. He played uh, he had a small a Dharma initiative. Yeah. And so okay, yeah, now this is making more sense. All right. <laughs> I hate everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Come be a part of this podcast, Fig. <laughs> Don't just rest your head on the mic. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, is it over? It's getting there. Yeah, he's we about got to say Silencio got, more and Silencio then... coming up. We can see if it's the director. Is it Chloe's Adam Chloe's pointing Keshin? at me and laughing. It's not, the, it's not Justin Theroux, no. It's, oh, no, oh. that's not Justin Theroux. No. You don't think so? Who is it, then? So. It's me. It's a guy. Yeah, it's it's, it's a, he's in drag, whoever he There's is. There's no... But... I don't see an Adam's apple. That's a guy. I'm just wondering who it is. Just checking Chris for an Adam's apple. <laughs> uh, maybe, I don't know, the credits will show who that person was? I, I would hope so. Yeah. Does David Lynch believe Yay! in credits? Wait, the Union forces David Lynch to believe in credits. I see. <laughs> All right. Um, did you wait before you say anything? Did you know that Ron Howard and Brian Grazer were originally executive producers on the pilot? Okay, go. <laughs> Scott Coffee. No, you're right, dude. Scott Coffee. Yeah. Watching Mulholland Drive. <laughs> <laughs> An essay by Tig Christie. Is like listening to someone two booths away from you at the diner have a conversation. <laughs> If it weren't for that horse, I wouldn't have spent that year in college. And you don't care. And if you really tried, you might be able to reverse engineer what they were saying. And all I can do is eat my onion rings and pay and leave. Chris? Jennifer Syme died so you could watch this movie, Teague. So show some goddamn respect. Chris is still laughing. All right. How do you feel about... Why do you why why does this movie involve you so much? Why do you spend so much time trying to figure it out? What if, what about it grabs you? If it weren't for that horse, I wouldn't have spent that year in college. We get it, Lewis Chad. No, no, no. I Already, know, I that was fast. Jeez. No, 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 do your thing. Why why, why oh, does this uh, movie? Catherine Town, daughter of uh, Robert Town, screenwriter. What what about this movie makes you so fascinated by it? I I think that Is it the puzzle aspect of it. It partially the puzzle aspect. I enjoyed kind of under under like understanding the layers of what was going on and, and wrapping up and understanding that the first time you watch it, you don't realize how much of it connects to each other. And as you start to piece it together and it, it did work. It's not like you didn't get it the first time because it get, got you in all the ways that David Lynch needed for you to get it. But 
I wanted to understand it more and go from there. But I think that it hits a certain emotional notes that are very, very, very strong. Whether you understand it or not, it still resonates with you in some way. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Chad? Uh, you know, <laughs> oh, man. When, like, I, yep. when I first heard about it, it was just I saw the trailer. I didn't hear anything critical about it. I'll bet you it's a badass um, trailer. It was uh, It was a good trailer. Check um, the bonus features. I bet it's on the... And on, it on just looked like something that looked very Whoa, different than everything Wardrobe, else. Why did why does she get her signature instead of text? That's her label. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Angela Bright, the intern, probably has a logo, and she didn't get hers. So, Chad, yes. it's one of your favorite movies. Uh, yes, it is. What gives? Um, I'm not entirely sure, actually. There's just... It's hard to explain because it's it's so many elements. Like, I know you're kind of ragging on the cinematography, but I actually love the cinematography of this movie. Um, I don't have a problem with the cinematography. And actually, the look and the, the feel of it... Like I said when I first watched it, you know, it's like Eddie said, the first hour of it, you're like... I don't know if this is a good movie or not. And even after I saw it the first time, I was like, I thought that too, just because it was so outside of the norm of what you're used to, that I, I was like, I need to go back. You know, I, a few days later, I was like, I just couldn't stop thinking about it. And so I had to go back and see it again. And it wasn't until then that I was really like, wow, there's there's actually a lot going on here that I, I just like. It's, it's You can't really explain it. Right it's on. just like. It just suits you. It just suits me. Eddie the Eddie Doty. Because her holds up, uh, even better. Because now I actually understand the ending, um, and and that goes to show that like, I don't know. I mean, you can say what you want about this movie, uh, and you may hate it, and you're certainly entitled to do that. But even the parts that you hate are going to kind of stick with you, and they kind of leave images that you know. There's there's I haven't seen this movie in nine years, and there's some scenes that I remembered exactly as as they appeared here. Even though I didn't necessarily understand the narrative of the movie, I understood the feeling that the movie was trying to give me. I'll just say this. Uh, you know, St- uh, Stephen King um, describes writing in his book as telepathy, the idea that he's in one place in the world at a specific period of time wanting me to think something years and half a world across away by writing it down on a page and then I read it. He's able to control what I think when I read that. Um, I think movie is sort of the empathic version of that. I think a good movie can make you feel something that the director wants you to feel. Interesting. Uh, from great distances in time. And I feel much the same way as I did now as the first time I saw it, which is this odd, unnerving, interested, kind of scared, kind of uh, intrigued by what I've seen. Uh, so those feelings are still the same for me. And even though I don't, I didn't understand the, to the depth of the, uh, that these two gentlemen did and were able to sort of illuminate for me, um, the feelings were still there. So that may just sound like bullshit, and you may think it's, it is, and you're entitled to think that, but I'll say this. Uh, name four movies nominated for Best Picture six years ago right now. You can't. But you can remember this. That's fair enough. Anyway, this has been Down in Front. You can always find more episodes at downinfront.net. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Wait, 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 Fig. <laughs> oh, and Chris has a thing. No, no, no. Fig. What? What did you think of Mulholland Drive? I don't like you at all. <laughs> Chris, uh, what's your... Anything. Da- just give us something. The Daily Blink thingy. No, not until you tell us what you thought of Mulholland Drive. I already told you. No. It was like the diner. No, we had... We are going around table, and now it's your turn. You started. I, I did it first. You did? You the started, diner. yeah. Oh, okay. Onion yeah. rings. Uh, I have a webcomic called The Daily Blink. It's at thedailyblink.com. It's World of Warcraft webcomic, and uh, my blog, chrishandle.com. This has been downinfront.net. <laughs> you can always find Cock punch. <laughs> you can always find. I want to be done with this recording so bad. <laughs> go uh, watch roleplay. Go watch roleplay. Chad Peter is excellent shit. Go to YouTube. Type in Chad Peter. 
It's amazing stuff. I have and, nothing to promote. Eddie's on TV a lot. <laughs> and uh, subscribers on iTunes did a brand new episode every single week. Part back. Twitter.com <laughs> slash down in front. Facebook down in front show. You can email us at contact or down in front show at gmail.com. Forum, involve yourself with the conversation. And we have uh, live announcements all the time, so you can meet us up and talk to us in the chat room and contribute your thoughts to the actual recordings, such as they are. Buy shit at sabershop.com. Yeah, buy Ryan's lightsabers at sabershop.com. And wow. uh, uh, buy art. It was buy, in the chat. Buy shirts from us. Buy uh, this DVD from us. We get a buck. <laughs> <laughs> Go buy Moby Dick. To Consume. <laughs> and uh, special thanks to Matt Fedevader for the show notes and chapter breaks. And Apocalypse iTunes. California. Apocalypse California. Chad <laughs> Peters feature. <laughs> First of a nation. Meltdown, <laughs> Meltdown show. Fucking whatever. That may that may be over by the time this airs. Holden <laughs> Hill maintains the website. And until next time, my name is T. Christie. I'm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you just did one of these. <laughs> yeah, I'm Chris Hanel. Chad. Eddie Doty. And this has been Down in Front. Thank you very much for listening. Good night, good night. And good luck. Ba-da, 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 oh, ba-da. my goodness. Uh, good job, Let's do this every week. Wow. Oh, God. <laughs> Next week, like Eraserhead. I forgot how much this reminded me of This is like an SAT question where it's very podcast is to homework as homework is to homework. Trendsinyourhead.com.